All right, and we're live. Well, we should be anyway. We are live. I can see the previews up, guys. Uh, the cameras are working. Audio should be fine. Please, if there are any technical difficulties, let me know. Uh, get in touch with us on the chat. It is another episode, of course, of Bedouin Banter here on the podcast, guys. Uh, uh, it's been a lonely one for the last couple of episodes, and I'm restarting since we've uh, come back into um, this new series. A bunch of new series is series is series. It's, it's series, right? Uh, it, it's a collective of episodes. I'd like to think right. a, a free flowing dialogue. That's there you go. Yes. but I was I was asking about the plural of series. Oh, uh, it's yeah, already yes here. I mean, you know, it's ironic coming from the English major, but it's in me. Fair enough. Let, let's let's just go with what you said. All right, there we go, guys. It is uh, Bedouins up close here on Bedouin uh, Banter. So it's going to be kind of like the old school format where it's an interview, the old school Bedouin Banter, uh, one one on one, just me. And today I have uh, a guest who's been on the show before. <laughs> Technically, in a hidden episode, walla, 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 walla. <laughs> a missing episode, ladies and gentlemen, I present to you uh, Mike Donovan. Uh, Mike is uh, not only a Navy boy, he's an adventurer, he's a man straight out of Hawaii, <laughs> and uh, he's been on the island for how long now? Uh, I've been here uh, about two and a half years. I got here uh, September 2017. September 20, 2017, that's right. Uh, Mike has also been a guy that's been a part of our improv group. He's been part of the local entertainment scene. Uh, doing improv, doing even some thespian work at one oh. point or another, stagecraft, uh, even tried his hand at uh, stand-up one time. <laughs> Going to get him again another time. Hey, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll play it by ear. I, I have a tendency to be a little lazy. but <laughs> Yes. <laughs> not when it's the party scene. Not yeah. when it's Adli and not when it's anything else. True. Uh, Mike, we were just talking about um, uh, basically in the imp- improv crew. That's what, that was our uh, collective consciousness kind of like ah, kicking yes. in all at the same time. <laughs> Ah, yes. Thinking about everything we've done up to this point, now that we've actually have our shit together. Hey, for once. <laughs> we do. We finally have, uh, let's say, uh, some documentation that we're breaking here for the first time on the podcast. Oh, oh, oh my. Yeah, we are. <laughs> I, I wanted to spring this on you. Just to, it's, to... It's, it's almost like it's been a, a year and a half in the making. <laughs> <laughs> uh... some, let's say some bullshit legal contention that was never really a legal case. Or has been. But... Or... <laughs> Yeah, Somebody no. was claiming, a master, a bullshitter, was claiming that he had a legal case against us when there was nothing in the courts, nothing in the uh, public prosecution. Boy, did people believe him. Boy, did they believe people, him. If you use big, fancy words and are <laughs> fucking annoying, man, will people listen. It goes a long way on this island, right? But fear not. The we, documents are in hand. The documents are in hand. They're going to be here uh, this week. So uh, we just can officially say that legally we own the logo. We that do. is it. We, we hold my Kedek is officially ours in every sense. There was a period of about uh, two and a half months where it was in contention. So I submitted the logo. This is after everything, after all the claims, after all the bullshit. I submitted uh, the logo as my own, as uh, the one that my wife designed, Sheva. And uh, we brilliant put it up logo, there. by the way. Brilliant. You. If you guys haven't seen it, check it out. At hold my Kedek, Instagram. That's the one. We have some secret YouTube videos. See if you can find them. I doubt it. How they will get on that? How they will get on it? Uh, yeah, but we've uh, we've come a long way, and now that we have the logo filed with the uh, uh, the, the Ministry of uh, Finance and uh, Tourism and everything that basically falls under Commerce, uh, nobody contested it. There was a period where it gets pub- pub- uh, published in a journal for people to just <laughs> literally go and say no. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> It's a journal that's read by like two people. One of them is probably the one that, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I was waiting. I was like, okay, let's see. Is he going to contest? Is it? Nope. Nothing. So we have uh, claimed the logo. 
It is our Hold My Galaxy RCR. So you're going to be talking about that later on Ooh. in another episode, though. You're going to make it improv specific. The, the reunion tour. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but that's what I'm saying. It's ironic that we've come to this uh, final conclusion. We're, we've, we've, we're on board with the improv to be back to where we were before, after everything that's happened, even losing some people to circumstance. Nothing more than just that. And you finally being available to actually practice and hang out. Uh, yeah. <laughs> So, then, so, so what 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 Khalid is referring to? So, for a while, you know, and in, inherently, when you're a sailor, you mm. know, you you work on these floating metallic objects called mm. called ships in the navy. Yeah, it's basically it's a it's a microcosm in itself. But you know, yeah. I'm not here to talk about the navy too much. But after you're done being on a ship for a while, sometimes you get to go to a desk job and your life gets normal. So, I went from a period where literally once every three days, at a minimum. I had to be on the ship for 24 hours to now I work basically, you know, I start my job at 8 a.m. and That's I right. go home at 4 p.m., sometimes earlier, and I don't have to do any overnight bullshit. And yeah. as soon as I get all this majestic free time, I literally left at the end of January, early February, take this wonderful vacation. I visit all these sites. I Egypt, come back. everywhere in the world. And, every- and the world as I know is changed. <laughs> As soon as I stepped off the airport, I mean, obviously, you know, I pay attention to the news. I've been, yeah. I've been seeing, you know, masks, people being like, oh, yeah. well, <clears throat> like, you know, NBC going, well, the, the COVID-19 virus has been spreading in the Wuhan city. The death toll is at 200. And I was like, okay, you know, no, MERS, yeah. SARS, bird flu, Swine, you know, that was a couple that. hundred, all that jazz. It's been happening. And then I come back to Bahrain, a, a place that is not necessarily known for its abundance of caution, abundance of caution. No. And I have to fill out a customs form. Like, literally, I most of the time, you know, they just see my ID card and I'm just waved into the country like no questions out. So I have to fill out a customs form. Then my temperature scan. Then I notice they're scanning everyone. <laughs> then everyone has masks. I'm like, what is going on? And then two weeks later, they just shut all down. Like, literally, the world is just like, bye-bye. Yeah. Gone. It was bad. It, when you know America's like, oh, uh, well, we're just going to turn off the economy. And they just pulled the switch. But people were doubting it for a while, even in the States, everywhere around the world, uh, except Bahrain kind of, uh, because Bahrain claims it was one of the fastest, uh, based off of that South Korean model. There was a lot of people that were still, you know, worried. They're like, what do we do? Do we actually close down borders? Do we actually do this? Do we, you know, suspend flights? Do we start testing? I I think just the fact that Bahrain was testing and having people wear masks in February, that alone, like, made the transmission rate go down exponentially. Uh, if there's one thing that history has taught me is that Americans are horrendous when it comes to be told to, to do one, almost anything, especially when it's like changes to their lives. Yeah. I mean, thinking in advance planning, but, but that's the thing though. Like if you compare it to, to let's say a, an analogy of a boat, sir, because you are in the Navy, true. right? Bahrain is like a PT boat, a small cruiser, <laughs> right? You can, yes. you can quickly make decisions, especially the same way with China can, cause it's kind of an authoritarian state, right? You can quickly make decisions and say, we're going in this direction. And things will turn. Yes. Right. But when you have the size and scope of a China with the U.S., <laughs> but none of the the ability to kind of say, "All right, we're going left now." There's there's a, there's a lot of middlemen, um, yeah. especially when you know when when you have a government that gives out like not necessarily orders, but like, eh, follow this maybe. Yeah. And the country is basically set up where it's fifty mini countries that are unified under one system. Yeah. With their own heads of state, which are called governors. For those that don't know. Um, the response is, I'm sure people have noticed, was very patchwork. 
in states like California that yeah. just shut down everything. And then you had places like Florida that was like, eh, maybe it's not too bad. Yeah. Um, but there was no policy in, in, in place for this to be a federal decision ever at any point, even with the CDC. It was always every state kind of takes its own decision, its own caution. Correct. There was, there was guidelines. Um, a lot of the medical stuff in the United States is handled at the state and local level um, because specifically the federal government, it's the... Oh, geez. My civics class coming back to me. I believe it's the 10th Amendment that says that the federal government isn't expressly given a power in writing, then it falls to the states. Yeah. So that's why what you have, like, you know, like education, for example, is so different in every single state. Even right. though there is a Department of Education that, you know, should... Oversees the whole thing. Exactly. Of, yeah. But each state, you know, like, if you go to Mississippi or Alabama and public schools, um, the quality of education you're going to get is going to vastly different than say like New York, Pennsylvania, or Maryland. Right. I'll, I'll tell you why, because a lot of those states fund education with income property taxes. Bonkers. Ooh. So if your housing is a lot more expensive, and this is someone that like, so, so, so you guys have some background, um, grew up in a military family. Um, I spent a lot of years in Hawaii, off and on about 10 or 11. So that's why I say I'm from there. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I've lived in Florida. I lived in Maryland, Virginia. I lived overseas in Italy and now here in California, too. And I, w- I went to public school in Hawaii and I went to public school in um, Maryland. I did I did high school in Hawaii, high school in Maryland. Right. Huge difference. I went from a school that was 50 years old in Hawaii, uh, ninth and 10th grade. And then I went to a school that was brand spanking new. Several million dollars to build, all the best facilities, great technology, smart boards, all that shit. Well, okay. So the property taxes, I mean, it, it, it makes a difference. Yeah. So that's why, going back to COVID, that's why you see the response was so different because the president can't, he can give out national guidelines and he can close federal things within a state. So, you know, like things like, like the National Park Service, that's not owned by the state. That's right. controlled and run by the Department of the Interior, which is part of the federal government. So, you know, for states that have giant national forests like California, yeah. you can close those down, like, legally. The yeah, because they own it. that territory in Ex- that sense. Exactly. So here's a question, though. Like, any kind of a sweeping legislation that comes down, let's say, like, you know, curfew or something else, that can't necessarily come from the president's office or the that arm of the government. It has to come from Congress, right? That's the only way it can supersede <sighs> the, the states. The pre- uh, Yes and no. Um, ideally, sweeping legislation comes from Congress. The president can... Um, he, so, he can stop your funding. He can be so, like, hey, you know what? You want some of this FEMA money? Go fuck yourself. You're not, well, you're not getting this. Well, so, so that, that's the thing, too. So, so normally, uh, yes. So normally, so this is, this is the fucked up situation America's in. So there has never been a precedence where the president right now is pushing for states to open their economies. Right. Um, and most of the, every single state is declared a state of emergency. When a state declares a state of emergency, that waves a red flag to the federal government to open up federal emergency funding for that state. However, um, there are certain cases where if a state complies with the federal law, um, then they get funding. So the drinking age, for example, everyone wonders, like, up until the 1980s, the drinking age was, for the most part, 18, some states had 19, some states had 20. However, when they made the law to have it 21, the government did a loophole. They said, hey, if you comply with this law and make your, make your individual state's drinking age 21, that will open up federal highway funding. Right. And so there the states are like, damn, shit, we need yeah, that. Yeah, we need that. Fuck. 
However, the reverse, I think, might possibly happen. There has never been a precedence where a um, the federal government has restricted funding or um, basically not done legislation in favor of a state for a state being too strict with laws regarding a quarantine. So right. you might have this instance where, which is you're seeing, the president is wanting states to open up. It's almost as if he, which, mind you, for our, for our listeners, the president is you know the head of the executive branch, yeah. but he's not a a summation of the federal government. Exactly. Yeah. Um, not to get into civics too much, but I mean, if we had a separate episode, basically the president over the last two hundred forty years has kind of secured more and more and power, more power, yeah. um, expanding and, and, uh, abilities. You yes. Know, from like how you declare what is a war, what isn't a war, stuff like that, right? It, exactly. Yeah. Personally, I think if the founding fathers were alive today, they would be rolling in their grave. Because what you don't see. <laughs> Bold statement on this podcast that you can never take back, Mike. I know. And I know. It's in the go. cloud forever. Yeah. By the way, my views are my views only and do not expressly uh, represent the Navy or the government. Just, just throwing that out there. <laughs> TM. <laughs> but um, I think what we're going to see is we're going to see uh, this weird dichotomy where the states. Um, are being pressured by the president and the executive branch, mostly the president's office, to open up. Um, and I think the president is going to try doing something shady where he like restricts funding um, for a state for being too cautious. Yeah, but that's what all of them do anyway. These back and forth, tit for tat, like kind of games. It, 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 exactly. Yeah. But um, I, I the, the the president. There was a CNN interview a couple days ago, and he was saying something that he had like absolute power over the governors. No. Um, that he could like order them to open up the country, which is not true. That's what the Tenth Amendment is for. And I, knowing Trump, I have a feeling that if he were to do something like that, uh, it would definitely be challenged, and it would most likely be found unconstitutional. Yeah, and it would still have to go through Congress, e- even if you had to do something at that scale, right? Uh, not not necessarily. Um, so so the president goes through Congress to enact legislation. Yeah. But there's certain executive orders that he can issue right. without going through Congress. Is that like the, uh, what is that one called? The one where you, you can uh, forcibly tell companies to produce something in a time of war? Or that's something? the uh, the Wartimes Power yeah, Act. So, the th- so that was a law that Congress did pass way back in the day in the 1900s um, that gave the president that power. Yeah. That gave the country that power. So now that that is a law that is constitutional because the Congress, you know, it was brought up in the House of Representatives and then ratified uh, by the Senate. Um, the president now has that power. Do you, do you not think that this would be the perfect time to use a power like that? You, you feel like it's just too controversial. That, just from the like, let's say respirators. No, it's, it's not. It. It's not. In fact, several companies like GE have been um, and Ford have been manufacturing respirators and masks yeah, with their. But that's out lines. of their own. They, they've kind of volunteered uh, under, to do under their that. own initiative. Yeah. Um, I well, think, we're assuming there are no favors being traded under the table as well. But let's assume. Well, well I, I mean, uh, <laughs> so, well, I, I guess this, this is turning more into a discussion of politics than yeah, military. I, that's I know. Okay. Well, we're going into. This oh no, I'm I'm 100 fine with that. Yeah. So. Uh, I don't. I don't think it would be a bad thing if. Um, I don't. I don't think it would be as controversial as people think it would be if the president right. did do that. I think for whatever reason, and I'd have to do more research, but for whatever reason, uh, he's being cautious on that end because he thinks that just the normal manufacturers can keep up. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Um, that and. Um, uh, shit. Yeah, I guess that is it. I thought I had another point. But right, fair enough. <laughs> I was going to ask you about something else anyway. I wanted to get off this topic because it was getting too um, 
let's it's just too like you said it's, it's getting into this too mire deep, of uh, what well, well, politics is in the states it's a lot of that but you, you already get a ton of that co- coverage anyway a lot that's what most people are talking about anyway mm-hmm. uh, what i want to know is it, when coming from the perspective of somebody in the navy and you're 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 here out here in bahrain you're out here in the rest of the world yeah um what has been the 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 kind of like the the concern with let's say china like like for example i don't know if you can disclose this but in internal memos do you guys call it the wuhan virus or have you also submitted to calling it covid any we it is referred to as covid-19 covid-19 and any correspondence that i've seen it's always covid-19 all right okay there you go i, so, I think uh while in history we've have had viruses that maybe were you know, referred to by region, you know, the Spanish influenza, for example. Um, yeah. You know, it didn't originate there. It was just called that because so many people caught it in Spain. Yeah, but there's also been a geographical uh, kind of, um, you know, what's, a, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, precedent with with a lot of these viruses, like Ebola is a river, I think, at some point, West Nile virus. Mm-hmm. A lot of them are location-based. It was not, like, if you called it, let's say, the China virus, all right, then you're maybe being a dick. You know, you're specifically trying to point out that it's China. Oh, well, well, yeah, that, that's basically what the, I, I shouldn't even say the government, what one individual that happens to have, unfortunately, a lot of power decided to do. Yeah. Um, but, you know, that. So there was never at any point a, a kind of a shift over. All right. No, it was just, <laughs> we, we, we call it what the scientists say. And that's, right. you know, coronavirus, COVID-19, okay. Rona, you know. <laughs> the Rona is, is Rona, the one I pre- you know. <laughs> appreciate. And it's, just, it's what it is, you know, it's just, mm-hmm. it's, it's. You know, like when, when SARS and MERS and bird flu was a thing, we didn't call it like, oh, Chinese bird flu, oh, Chinese SARS. Yeah, but, but MERS is still Middle East respiratory. You have the name of the location in there. It's the Middle East. It's uh, the, oh, yeah, true, true, true. Like, I don't know about SARS. I don't know what, I don't remember what that stands for, but if yeah. I had to guess, it was something like that. I, I guess one SARS came, SARS came out of China. Shanghai Avian Respiratory Syndrome. Yeah, something like I don't that. Know. Maybe. The, the, I'm assuming. The, yeah. the, the Google machine might be able we'll, to tell we'll, us. We'll, you know. If we had the third guy here, but unfortunately <laughs> he's not here. He's going to Google it for us. You guys can help us out in chat. <laughs> All right, Mike, off the topic of Corona-chan. Yes. Uh, we have some questions. Uh, what do you think about Michigan? Nah, no, I'm not going to talk about Michigan, Dina. Go away. This is my about who? Michigan's demonstrations against the government. Oh, Dana's listening. Hey, yeah, what's she up? Is. What's up, Dan? Doing? It's been a minute. How you doing? Yeah. Good to see you. Mike's not from Michigan. I don't want him to comment on what Michigan I've does. I've never actually been to Michigan. There you go. I know a few people from Michigan. Specifically, uh, for the for our listeners, Michigan's actually broken up into two parts. You have the part that looks like an oven mitt, which is Michigan. Yeah. And then you have the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, which looks like a jagged fucked up lightning bolt but it's, it's, it's like the rest of canada exactly <laughs> it's it's big enough to be its own state it's way bigger than rhode island connecticut but it's oh, okay. just the part two of michigan that's that nobody talks about physically separated it's like a lot more country and people love their guns and uh milwaukee's best you know yeah for true that sponsorship yeah. there you go johnny doe has just given us the answer it's a south asian respiratory virus well, okay thanks johnny thank you johnny uh so yeah th- there's a th- there's a lot of unusual stuff happening. You know what concerns, concerns me in the Navy, and especially because you guys are stationed here, and, and you're one of the few people that, you know, you come from this Navy background, but you also interact with the local crowd and people here. You get mm-hmm. out, you, you do shows with us, you have fun, you know, there, there are parties, there's all kinds of stuff. You're really connected, <laughs> especially if you guys see his Instagram, yeah. check I'm it out. I'm in deep. I'm too deep. He's, he's, <laughs> this is, this is I call him the Lawrence of, of Adlia, or uh, this is a new one for me uh, of Arabia, because he does embed into the local culture and the people, and he wants to get to, to, to know people, and he's gotten around. His name has been floated out there as a legend, a myth, a unicorn, a collects a 
Look, at one man, point. I'm just I'm just a dude that knows how to talk to people. Doesn't matter where they come from. Doesn't yeah. matter their religion. Well, there's you know? A, there's a, you know that's let's say not necessarily the, the most common thing you find with Navy personnel. People are usually I, I cautious. Agree. I yeah, agree. They're usually cautious with with good intent. Oh God, the 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 training they give us is hysterical. Like I remember. Um, uh, I remember back in January where like the whole, you know, Iranian tensions like flared up, you know, in part because we kind of like sucker punched Iran and killed yeah. their general. Man, like the emails I would get every day. It's just like, it's like, well, you can go out, but like, don't. Yeah. But if you do, oh, but just be careful. Yeah. And I was like, I'm just going to add Liam, man. Like chill. They're just like, whoa, whoa this is, just relax. And then, and then the rumor mill, they're just like, oh, oh, they, you can only go between your apartment and work. And man, I was like, why? And they're just I like, love ah. that. I love, like, I love Navy people because it's, like I said, the flip side. I love the ones that are overly, like, secure and paranoid. And it is, it baffles I love me. Just, there are people that have been here longer than I have and they've never even been to, like, the souk, man. No. And I'm just like, what do you do all day? Like, shit, I'm having such a hard time with just being in my apartment and, you know, just stuck with Netflix. There are people that spend years here. That's yeah, all man. they do. Even, even the recent thing, the crisis and everything. I know people that are supposed to be out of rotation. They're supposed to be going back home. They can't see their kids, their yeah. family. They're stuck here. Yeah. So they, they don't have a connection to the local scene or anybody here. And they feel alone. And that's that has its toll on oh, people. Oh, 100%. I remember my, uh, I was good for the first two weeks. And then just so our listeners know, I'm a very like outgoing person i have a hard time physically sitting still as as Khalid and members of the troop yeah. tell you and i was good for about two weeks and i remember i was just sitting in my in my apartment for like the first time in my entirety of being here i was in my apartment like from thursday until like saturday and then i went to work on sunday i, I my mom texted me she's like are you okay and i was like no, I'm, dying. I'm not. Lord Jesus, help <laughs> I've had, me. I've had multiple people not ask me how I'm doing. And they're like, oh, they want to know if I have corona. Cool. And I don't. And they're like, no, how are you doing? Like, Does this make me a terrible person, by the way? Because I feel for you. I really do. No, right? it's but a the sign same that time, we're friends I, that you, you, I do. I you do. know me. <laughs> I know. And in that sense, I really do kind of like relate to a lot of people that are in your same circumstance. But I was asking Shadow the other day. I was like, am I a dick? Because I don't feel any different. Like for me, I'm like doing well, the same shit I was doing before. I, I th- yeah. I, well, I think it's like you. You have a lot of hobbies that don't require people per se. No, no, I'm mean, not. It's funny because uh, people like me and like to hang out with me. Oh yeah. I, on the other hand, get get like I'm I'm, I'm an introvert. I can't handle too much people well, at any given time. Uh, tr- well, I, I true. I wouldn't. I I wouldn't call you an introvert. Maybe you are, but but think of it. Like, don't I get overloaded and then I just like just dip out well, well i think that's just like as we mature and get older we're just like, Man, fuck these f- fuck these people these youth get off my emotional lawn you know i've never thought to hear you say that sent that word that sentence like as we mature and get older right and then you know five minutes later i, talking I, about I, ass. I feel like i feel like the only difference between like my younger self and my current self is i just have more money which means i can make more reckless decisions <laughs> Anyone that's ever seen me drink a Calexico, now, you, these guys, you know these guys get so much money, by the way, in the Navy. I'm just putting that out there. Well, well you guys hold, don't hold understand. On. They I'm, support I'm gonna, our economy. I'm, I'm so happy that you guys do. Don't get me I'm, wrong. I'm going to put a very large asterisk on that. Is mm. me getting technical for a sec. As as an officer, we are paid well. Yeah. For the uh, so we so we don't pay any federal taxes. That's not just for officers. That's for everyone. Do you guys here. pay state? Um, if you are living in, if you're from a state that has state tax, yes. If you're a resident of Florida, like your boy, yeah, no, no hey, state income tax know. there. I like that. Um, yeah. So if you play the system right, so a lot of people in my line of work are residents of like Pennsylvania and Florida, right. and Delaware. That explains, uh, yeah, Jacksonville. That explains a lot there. Yeah. yeah. Well, they also they have the big. Um, there's Navy a big. Base. Um, 
um, base. base? Yeah, yeah, it's it's a naval base for training uh, pilots, like helicopter pilots, right, jet yeah. pilots. But I will say, and I don't know if there are any military listeners there. The amount that we pay the junior enlisted sailors, to be honest, is fucking atrocious. Really? Well, yeah. So, like, if you took a if you took a brand new sailor, uh, a seaman, petty officer, third class, you know, one of those types. Explain that to people. What does that mean? What, this, like equivalent. Uh, so a petty officer third class would be the same as a corporal. Okay, that doesn't explain it to the average person. Like, what what are their roles? Tasks, oh, oh, oh yeah, yeah. So, um, how it works is like in in the military, you have the the officers. They're more the leadership, management, administrative paperwork. Yeah. Um, in in my community, you know, I I drive ships. I'm called a surface warfare officer. Um. So the officers are the ones that are like the experts, you know, like navigation. We're the ones that direct the um, ship's evolutions and movements. We plan like training exercises, working with other navies, gun shoots, like big picture evolutions. We are the final say in terms of safety, in terms of execution, timing, management, um, all that stuff. And we also provide leadership. We provide guidance um, from... Uh, our level, like there are decisions that I make that, you know, I, I've been in charge of as many people. Uh, my last ship, it was uh, about 26. And on this ship, which is much smaller, I was in charge of about eight or nine people. Okay. So you, you do have some responsibilities and tasks at that level is what you're oh, talking oh, about? Oh, at, at, absolutely. So I, uh, and these, these junior officers you're talking about, what, what kind of responsibilities, how many people are they? Well, well, so, so I, I am considered a junior officer. Okay. The, the people I'm referring to, so the actual, like, uh, uh, the worker, I guess the worker bees is the best analogy. They're the, uh, the sailors. So they're right. the, uh, you know, your seamen, your petty officers. Um, they are the, uh, the enlisted, uh, meaning that, um, you know, they are uh, technical experts. They're the guys that, you know, for example, a uh, an officer isn't going to fix an engine, but a machinist mate who is a petty officer, he knows the technical skill because he's been to the courses and he has the hands-on experience to fix the engine. Right. Now, now, the officer who is the engineer, he will know what the issue is. He will uh, order the parts, work with the supply system to get what the sailors need to install in the engine to fix it right. he'll be the one that briefs the that bought the boss the commanding officer aka the captain of the ship he'd be like hey this is the impact of having this down this is the plan forward but your your sailors and your petty officers they're not going to be the ones that go directly to the captain and tell him right. what the way is okay ahead. And, and that being said you know it's um so they don't get paid that well you're saying they're not considering the amount of time and effort so well the the more the more you know it's it's a rank structure so you start off um when someone enlists in the navy they start off as a seaman yeah um, and there, there's three different levels so I'll, I'll can, just... can you get that mic closer to you if you can as oh as sure as yeah. is, is this better just, just pull it forward just oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, is that good yeah it's a yeah. bit better there. that's what she said all right <laughs> um so yeah so you start off uh so there, there's nine different enlisted ranks yes we're doing a little military lesson here um, so you start off as a, a seaman recruit, then you go to seaman apprentice, seaman, petty officer third class, petty officer second class, uh, petty officer first class, um, chief petty officer, senior chief petty officer, master chief petty officer. Um, the chiefs, you know, so that's the seventh enlisted rank and above, so seventh through ninth. They are um, they are the uh, like technical experts. They are the guys right. that. You know, know know the engine inside and out. They know all the tricks and the trades. They they are the guys that work with the junior officers. That's um, which I'll explain in a sec. They work with the junior officers. They run the day to day evolutions for the junior guys, the petty officers and the seamen, to make sure that the tasking that 
is put out by the officers, the mid-level management, like myself, gets executed. Right. And then the chiefs with the officers, mostly the officers, though, we're the ones that, um, you know, are if, if the captain gives us guidance as to how to conduct business, ways to improve upon efficiencies, areas that need to be addressed immediately, the captain helps the officers prioritize. But as a mid-level officer, um, I also have a lot of autonomy. So even um, I've had I've had two bosses on the smaller ship. One was uh, one I had a difficult relationship with, but he taught me a lot just about like actually maneuvering the ship and operating it at sea. Right. And the other one was a lot more relaxed and you know kind of let me do my thing. But both of those bosses, you know, they wouldn't be the ones that would be telling the machinist mate like, "Hey, you need to fix this part of the engine right now." All right. They would tell me that, and then I would have to relay that down to them. Okay. All right. So there, there, there's levels. There, so, there's so, levels to it. There's a lot of responsibilities. There's a lot of intricacy to it. And there's there's different roles that kind of uh, you know overlap in that sense. Exactly. And and the, the smaller the, the ship or command, if you will, the smaller the command, everyone there, the, multitasking is life. On these, uh, you know, the, the ships we work on here are very small. Um, they're only 55 meters long, crews of anywhere from 26 to 32 people. Um, your average uh, U.S. You know, warship, like a destroyer, is you know uh, almost 200 meters long, has you know 350 people. An aircraft carrier is you know like 5,000 people. And, and let, let's assume now. here, here we go with this one. There's a lot of technical background involved in in a lot of the work involved as oh, well. Yeah. So there's a lot of people that are technically trained to do some really yes. in, intense stuff. That means the, the the education level varies a lot as well, is, is what I'm assuming here? Yeah, so so to be an officer, you need a college degree. Okay. Uh, to be enlisted, you do not. However, as an enlisted person, you can um, earn a college degree over time, or you can go back to school. Okay. Um, so there's nothing hindering an enlisted person from getting a degree. It's just uh, you need to... Is that like ROTC programs and stuff like that? <laughs> exactly, yeah. So like, okay. like so there, there's several different ways you can become like an officer. So uh, I, I went to the uh, Naval Academy, which is in Annapolis, Maryland. And it's, uh, it's a four-year program. Um, didn't pay any tuition. It's like a scholarship. Basically, you get, you get a free education. This is weird.com because it's, it's a four-year university, but it's also like a full-time military school. Right. So, you know, most people um, in between their college years, they get, you know, three months off. Me, uh, I would get one month off if I was lucky, and then I would have to do training for two months. So I would either uh, go to the fleets, as they call it. Like, I would be temporarily assigned to okay. an actual warship. I would... Um, so kind of like Wesley Crusher in Star Trek. He's like an ensign. He's going out there, enjoying exactly. himself, and then he goes back to school. Ex- exactly, yeah. Right, okay. So it's basically, it's like, you know, the, the college experience, it was a mix of... So I, I was actually an English major at the Naval Academy, but... Um, Which, is that a common thing, by the way, or not really? Like, so, what so, kind of backgrounds are we talking about? So the, the, Naval, the Naval Academy is great. It, it teaches, um, well, I mean, things I never thought I would say. But uh, they, uh, major-wise, it's everything from the humanities, you know, English, Arabic... Uh, political science, economics, and then they have the technical majors, you know, math, science, yeah. physics, chemistry, all this stuff, yeah. uh, electrical engineering, thermodynamics. I mean, they, they got all types of stuff. So um, the academy wants to have about, it's like 65% be what's called STEM majors, science, technology, engineering, mathematics. But there are a decent amount of people that go there. And it's a small school. It's only, uh, each class is about 1,000, 1,200 tops. So there's about 4,400, 4,500 students total. Right. Um, that being said, the academic facilities are great. Um, plenty of money and funding. But yeah. is there like a different focus when it comes to the the English lit or the humanities? Is it, you know, because you assume that you guys would be reading more about, you know, 
I don't know. Give me like military history. You'd be reading more about literature that's uh, no, relevant. So, so there's um, there are mandatory classes we have to take. So when I was a freshman, I took uh, American Naval History. That was like a mandatory history class we had right. to take. And everyone, regardless if you're an engineer or a you know Arabic major, you have to take uh, two semesters of English. But the books that we read, I mean, it was everything from. Frankenstein, A Prayer for Owen Meany. Okay. Um, you know, you're reading. So it's like diverse. Classics. It's not like built to, to configure you to a certain it, it, mindset. Exactly. And and while we're there, you know, we we already have to take. I mean, uh, while it was even though I was a an English major, so like when I was a senior, uh, you know, two of those two out of my classes of my six classes that I was taking um, would be English. I had one elective, which I chose to, you know, focus on like Middle Eastern history, and then the rest of the classes were all mandatory. So I was still taking, you know. Uh, naval ethics, law, leadership, um, yeah. navigation, navigation two. Uh, so this is all on ther- top of thermodynamics, it. physics, science, chemistry, calculus. Uh, not just like one semester; they're all like two or three semesters of each of those. But now, the focus on Middle Eastern history was that specifically your like you chose that path, or is that something that's more common? To, considering you want to go towards, you know, like so, you know, if you take a certain course, you much more likely to get a specific assignment, much more likely to get a you know specific promotion. Is there so, a, so the the nice thing about the Naval Academy is um is is you're guaranteed a job if you graduate, like literally you're guaranteed a job. Yeah. So and that's where the big mo- money is as well, right? When you're well, an officer like that. Well, yeah. So the officers definitely initially make a lot more okay. than um like 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 a, a seaman versus um an ensign which is yeah. in, in the yeah, navy yeah, yeah. the first grade of officer it, it's a huge pay difference there you um, go so and, you, you come out of it you've you you're you're guaranteed a job you guaranteed good income yes you guaranteed a good education so where does like you were saying the heading is it natural to go towards that middle eastern studies kind of direction or was that your choice specifically so when i say middle eastern studies direction so there isn't um and i i told the faculty there because i knew a lot of people like that were in the history and the poli sci departments because i took classes with them i told them i said there really should have been like a middle eastern like studies major because if that if there was that i probably would have picked it this is how i got interested into it um uh, so there's there's two history classes you have to take at the Naval Academy. Um, one is American Naval History, which you know, which makes sense. Yeah. You know, you learn about all the battles of old, commanders, yeah. etc. That's like a freshman level class. You just got to take it, do your thing. Yeah. And then when you are a sophomore, you have to take one more history class. Um, and then it could be, or maybe maybe two, I forget. But you you had three options. You could do history of the Western world. Um, history of like the ancient Middle East or the modern Middle East. It starts off modern ancient. or like it, it starts it starts off ancient, you know, like Byzantine, Mesopotamia, all that shit. Okay. And eventually, it like goes. So to, not antiquity. Uh, then you're talking about post, you know, post Roman Empire. Uh, it, it goes a little bit, a little bit of antiquity, but it's a very like you know, it's a semester. It's a very surface level course. Right. Like, okay. Broad swath, but not you know like yeah, big swath, but maybe an inch deep. Right. A couple right. centimeters, whatever the conversion is. <laughs> and uh, met- metric, you know, so what so, she said, there you right? Go. Uh, um, and then the other option was like, you know, history of like Asia, like modern Asia. Okay. And I picked, uh, I picked the history of the Middle East. I was like, you know, I don't know much about this region. This was back in like 2000. Was there a calling? Uh, Were you hearing well, something in the wind? Well, you know, the uh, the, the, the Marvel origin story is getting there. But <laughs> so uh, you know, after uh, I heard the. The, um, was there like a dusky looking old man that was in the library that told you, oh, Donovan, you must read this book? Well, you know, I, I, there, there's a minaret in the center of the, uh, the campus. The I just, you know, I, I heard the man issuing, I forget what it is in Arabic, the call, the call, to, uh, the call to learn, if you will. 
take this class. But... <laughs> and then your, your journey started. This is like the start of Gremlins. You right. had a little bit of a moment where he was, right. he was urging you to come here and talk. talk. Well, I'll tell you why. So I had the perfect teacher for it. So I remember it was this guy. His name was uh, Jeffrey Makris. Jeff Makris. He was, he was a Navy captain, which is a, a very high rank. Um, you know, a lot more than what I was. I was a lowly uh, midshipman, which is like a naval student. And this was a guy, he was, he was like a foreign area officer that became a uh, full-time instructor. And he was telling me all these stories about, you know, his travels to Saudi Arabia and, you know, Qatar and Bahrain and just all the, he knew all these diplomats. He got gifts of like, you know, gold watches from like this king and you know, like Jordan or something. So he, right. this guy had been all over. And he he really made the region come alive. It was, it okay, was fun. so he was, was telling like, you these stories. Like, well, what was well, well, the craziest is... one? The Kuwaitis with tigers? What was your craziest <laughs> story? Come on. Uh, well, I, I mean, I, I forget all the stories he told, but it was it was the way he taught it. He was passionate about it. He made the region come alive. Okay. And you know, I coincidentally uh, I happened to validate two semesters of Spanish uh, when I when I came into college, and so because I validated those two semesters, that was six credits. Um, that freed up my matrix a little bit, just enough so that every semester, starting my um, sophomore year, I could take like you know a a random elective of my choice because right. you needed a minimum of fifteen credits every semester. Um, right. And so I started taking like Middle Eastern stuff. So I, I you took... were leaning naturally towards that yourself. Just well, because... well, well, that and after, um, especially after I took that history course, I was like, oh, this region's really cool. Let me take more. So I started, uh, you know, my my junior year because I was only able to take one. Uh, Middle Eastern uh, history elective my sophomore year started my junior year I really got into it so I took uh, you know politics of the Middle East which was taught by again you know most of the faculty at the academy it's about two-thirds are civilians yeah and the other third are like you know like naval, uh, naval instructors some right. are permanent professors and others are kind of rotating they'll be there for three or four years teach and then they go back to uh, a ship or a submarine or like, right. a, like a like a plane like a like a helicopter squadron, right, right, right. And so, um, you know, I took I took politics of the Middle East, uh, which I still have a great reference book. Uh, it's like a thousand pages long, goes over everything. If you ever want to know about like the Tunisian judicial system, uh, don't. <laughs> Mike is the don't. guy to talk to when it comes to because but, he, but will I have the book. he will surprise I have, people. I have I have the book that talks yeah. about it because this is the interesting part because uh, you don't you, you people from my part of the world would assume that there's this like natural inclination built within the military, built within the navy to kind of steer you towards certain things. You know, it's like oh, learn Farsi, do this, do this, do this, do so, this. But really, they're not shaping your mind in any specific direction that is middle middle east centric. Well, so so part of my curiosity because you know like i i grew up like I, I remember when i was 10 and i was i was living in italy at the time and i, I, I was watching on cnn us invading you know baghdad yeah and you know it, it wasn't really like i i knew from a young age like who saddam hussein was yeah. but i i you know i, I kind of almost wish i could go back to that time just to pay attention a little bit more because you know when you're a 10 year old your priorities don't you, know, you want to play your fucking you want to play ps2 and like, yeah. hang out with the boys you know like the fifth graders and you know just just chill yeah, yeah you know yeah. and you're not really paying attention as much nearly to the the world around you and you know my, my father you know great guy uh much more conservative than i am you know navy, navy guy through and through so he you know growing up you're exposed to stereotypes of the region right and part of my curiosity was i just didn't really know much about that part of the world like nothing other than right. what i'd seen and you know some some news clippings and you know I, I remember like you know like the the one arab guy that i knew like growing up barely where, where it, it, in maryland or hawaii no, yeah no, it was uh in virginia it was a guy named uh zubair who i think was from afghanistan okay and, uh, like how you said that afghanistan yeah Right, you, you know? gave it a little bit of the like Af in Bahrain. Af 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 you say it like you say Hawaii, Hawaii, Hawaii. <laughs> That's the other one. 
That's true. So, so speaking, of, yeah, but pronunciations I've learned uh, in America. We're, we're atrocious at pronouncing things, you know. No, no, like, you're, you're not. You're we, fine. we we literally call like one of our superstars. It should be Khalid, but we say, oh, that's Khalid. You know. Just but like, that's the thing. There's an American. Uh, there's, cringe. There, I know, I know, but there's now I can't say that anymore. There's an, there's an American precedent where there's a lot too many people that are called Khalid. Like the, the singers, the DJs. Honestly, I didn't even know how to pronounce like Iran properly until I think I was almost done with high school. Like, like it, it's, it, but I mean, it makes sense. You know, America is so large. Yeah. Um. You know, it is it is easy to live your entire life without actually going outside of America. America. I mean, it's it's like bigger than like you know Europe and some continents. Right. Yeah. Um. And it's I mean, there's parts of the country I haven't even been to, which you know, growing up in a Navy family, like, you know, we never had reason to go to like north dakota for example or you know iowa this is the interesting part because you you didn't get to go a lot around in the states itself but you did get to visit a lot of the the outer world right well, the, well so so the world i broad but i i did a decent amount of travel in the states but you gotta remember it was mostly on the coast because yeah. you know navy you now, this is what i was gonna ask you now is it typical that you would be as uh you know is it a hawaii thing is it a virginia thing where you or were you just your family because of the nature of you being in a military family that you would be much more accepting of learning about other cultures because there's the two types of navy people i call them the star trek people <laughs> so they're the ones that are the nerds and everything and they, yeah. they, 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 they have that star trek mentality of i want to i want to learn about this alien race called barinis <laughs> i want to know what they take like what is, how do they mate how do they yeah. drink and, and and then there's the other type which is like i'm gonna be here i'm gonna do my years i'm gonna go back like they insulate so, so yeah, some some people come out to Bahrain for financial purposes, um, yeah. Because you you know when you're not paying taxes, you do make some money. But a, a lot of a lot of people, especially when they come out here, they I think it's a mix of like they're uncomfortable, but they're also um, a lot of people don't go out and explore just because here more than anywhere else, I would argue, like maybe with the exception yeah. of like the ships in Japan. Um, you know, if you're on a ship out here, you're working your ass off. Yeah. And a lot of people, honestly, at the end of the day, are just fucking tired. They're tired, yeah. Like, I've li- seen that. Like, and, I've I mean, seen that, yeah. It, you know, I mean, shit, you would see me. Like, I'd, I'd roll into practice on, like, three you hours guys are of sleep. On, are, like, caffeine pop a, pills. Pop, <laughs> pop a caffeine pill, which not not the healthiest way of doing it. But part of the reason um, I was able to get out so much, it was twofold. One, my personality. Not everyone kind of has this, like, effervescent, like, drive where like you can't sit still and like you just have to be doing anything yeah call it adhd maybe who, who the fuck knows yeah but um i would literally sometimes especially because you know my my first uh my first you know 21 months on the ship i was on i'm not gonna name it but um you know for, for those that know me they know what it is um were extremely stressful uh because i i worked for someone that made my life a little more difficult than they needed to yeah um and so part of my stress relief was to go out to interact with people to do things like improv. And, you know, I, I honestly think that if I didn't have those outlets, I would have had, I, I don't know. I might've snapped, man. Like it, no, fair enough. It, it, but, it wasn't yeah, always fun and games. I, I know people that do that for other things, like the other hobbies that I'm into, whether it's miniature war gaming or, you know, even some of the other guys that play in, let's say the, the, the nerdy communities, like oh, yeah. trading cards, right? There's a lot of Americans that come in to play magic the gathering Oh yeah, and they're buff bastards like they're huge and, and some of them are like nerdy and doesn't matter but the point is that you can get the sense that they compartmentalize like i don't talk about that when i'm here i'm this guy i'm this person i'm matt i'm well, john we, yeah because we i mean for for our jobs i mean it's like when you know unlike a lot of people where you could go to work and then you don't have to take work home with you i mean especially when you're in a, you're on a ship if you go to sea like you you live where you work you yeah know? like you you your your uh your bed your rack uh, uh rack as we call them navy term 
um, you know, it was like maybe 20 meters away from like your workspace. Yeah, exactly. You know? It's, uh, so the, 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 that's a different life. You put it behind you and you go outside and you, when you do interact with these people that are in, in the island in Bahrain as a, as a serviceman, you tell yourself that what you are too worried about the consequences of mixing things together or you're just like, I'm not here for long enough anyway. Might as well just not get too nah, attached. It, it's just like like a lot of people, you know, when they and I, I kind of fall into this mentality, like when I when I'm outside of work, I don't want to be reminded of work. So I actually I uh, I'm a rarity. I have more arab and local friends that yeah. are like you know bahraini than i do like military friends that i hang out with outside of work yeah um i do have some of my closest friends are in the military you know navy and marine corps um mm. and you know i'd be more than happy to hang out with them outside of work but you know military people because you know it's more than a job it is in many ways especially for the ships and submarine yeah guys, such a lifestyle like literally you live where you work like when, when you yeah, go to sea yeah. like it's it's you and, you know, the 27 other people on your small little ship. Like, there's no fire department. If something breaks, you got to fix it. If there's a fire, like, you know, fire department's not going to come. Like, you got you to gotta put it out yourself. But um, what I'm asking about is, like, fair enough. There's a lot of people that I know, whether they're in Bahrain or from the States, it doesn't matter, that don't want to talk about work when they're outside of work, right? But the, the, the phenomenon I'm talking about is people that come in and they'll pretend like they're geologists or, you uh, know, yeah, yeah. like, well, some, dude, you're not a geologist. Well, Come some, on. Like, I think so, some people do stupid shit like that because like, they think they're like, Oh, like we're not allowed to tell these, these a rabs what we do. Even yeah. though it's, it's so obvious. But like, he's got the Semper Fi tattoo. He's, it, 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 <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and, come and, on, and that's, man. That's just, that's just the mix of like, unfortunately when it comes to military training, there's a very bad tendency to like the, the military acknowledges that like, you know, like the terrorists can think and be creative, but yeah. they're like, they never mentioned that, like, you know, the civilians and other people you interact with who are locals that aren't, you know, in the military um, have critical thinking abilities. Yeah. And, you know, we as service members uh, have a very bad habit of sticking out. You know, like we uh, we work hard, but we play much harder. So, you know, yeah. you have a lot of, I mean, you get a Jafar on, a, you know, any pre-COVID night, you know, at like 11 p.m. And there's sailors marines you know, yeah get, getting drunk having a good time you know blown off but steam. there are the few there's a few exceptional ones i'm gonna say that are i'll, I'll call them social butterflies like yourself and they have the ability to kind of like they don't seem as obviously military in that sense yeah. and it's like you it's like they might have an unusual background maybe they're english lits or they go into the you know they're not there for necessarily the bars or the hookers or the clubbing you're part of the clubbing scene for sure but you're also part of the let's say the uh, the theater clubs yeah yeah you joined improv you did this stuff so that was part of your inclination from back home what you did when you were back home what did you feel like was the reason to do that now and here did you were you curious like, or like because like, you walked like, into so, our room dude oh yeah, yeah you, you yeah, came yeah. in first day and you're like hey i'm here i'm from i'm from this yeah, i've so, done improv so what, uh, what, what khalid is referring to so um I, i'm proud to say khalid is uh what i would call my my first uh friend in bahrain right like a vulcan uh, so i i met him uh literally my sixth day here right. uh and i went to the british club because they were doing uh improv sessions improv practices at the time and uh, you know you know just because you're in a new location um you know, you, like, you're still going to have the same hobbies. You know, like, when people... Like, if I was really into tennis, like, I would have found people in Bahrain that are into tennis. If, if the, I'm, yeah. sure, I'm sure it's a thing. I don't know, because I don't really give a shit about tennis. But, you know, it's the same thing. Like, before I came here, you know, I, I was a huge theater buff, theater nerd, and uh, really into improv. And um, in high school and college, I, I did performing arts and, you know, like, plays and musicals and, like, short act, one-act festivals, all that shit. Um However, once once I was done with college, you know, I became on the ship. It, um, 
I I started shifting to improv because dedicating like eight solid weeks to like rehearsals and practices. Yeah. Because the thing is like nightmares. Unlike an office building, when you're on a ship, you know, like you you leave the country all the time. You go to sea, and when you go to sea, you're at sea. You are in your little, you know, however big the ship is. You're at your metallic structure, and you live, work, and breathe, and play in there. Yeah, and your state of readiness, your shifts, your timetables are constantly adjusting. Exactly. So, so when I was in Hawaii, that's where I was on my first ship. I shifted to improv because, you know, unlike a play, you can do shows really without practicing. It's all made up. That's the nature of improv. Yeah. So when I left Hawaii in April of 2017. Um, you know, I still wanted to get better at improv. I still wanted to do it. So I did a couple months of training in Virginia before I came out to Bahrain. And, you know, I found an improv troupe out there, uh, Push Comedy Theater. Shout out to you guys. Great troupe. Check them out. Um, but I took I took classes with the Push Comedy Theater because uh, I was there in Virginia for so long. And, uh, you know, I, I had some great teachers there and they taught me a lot of things, uh, mostly long form focused, but skills that I was able to bring to Bahrain and then um one of my hobbies just you know since i was you know late high school was going to see actual plays so yeah um when i go to when i go to anywhere whether it be for vacation or to move there i, I research and i did research so i knew about the Manama theater Manama theater club uh months before i got here oh so and, you've been reading about it online you yeah, it, yeah yeah no, okay. I, I looked it up a couple months before i arrived so i knew i was like hey like one of the first things like once i get settled and kind of figure out like you know the the day-to-day workflow and just kind of like you know getting my basic ways around the city um was i was gonna you know hop in an uber and go to one of these practices so just as a question yeah theoretically speaking here we'll we'll, drop theoretically part i'm gonna go straight into something else sure sure what how do we compare like scope size capability talent dedication creativity originality commitment to this, to this per capita same places improv or just in general in general because you've been a part now if i'm going to explain to everybody you've been a part now of many different scenes even if you're not actively working alongside alongside them you've seen them operate you've seen people that are doing the shows the event cycles uh you know the the bohemian crowd the theater crowd the, the name it and you've seen it okay. right yeah, you've yeah. seen the stand-up as well agreed yeah where do you feel like bahrain lists as far as the rest of the world i, th- I think bahrain is um so Bahrain, by the nature of being so small, um, a lot of it is much easier for creatives to kind of find each other and know each other through the sea of people. Like I, you know, like the, the fact that, you know, like, you know, one of my very good friends happened to, you know, like be on the radio for so long. I could like hear him, you know, on the national fucking radio, you know, in America, that's that's not a thing like, you know. Really, um, you don't you don't get the local RJs or well, you you do, but like Bahrain in many ways is like a giant small town. Yeah, um, so that's it's right. easy to like you know if you want to find the creatives, the actors, the improvisers, the artists, the they stick the out. singers. It's easy. Like people know people. You get friends with two people. Suddenly you know ten people. Um, I think a lot of the drive and good ideas and passion are there. I think Bahrain is a bad issue with being a little apathetic though, and what I mean is like. There's a lot of good ideas floating around, but not a lot of people actually take the time to follow through. And I think that's the biggest difference between here and the States, because in the States, you'll have people that are just as talented or maybe even less talented than people in Bahrain. 
depending on where you are. Because, I mean, yeah. obviously, the cities are going to have more talent. But... but that's the nature of them being a magnet as well. So it's, yes. I'm not going to compare them to, let's say, a city. I've had people say that to me before. They're like, yeah, but don't compare it to New York and L.A. and stuff. I'm like, oh, yeah. No, no, but... I, I wasn't even going to bring those up. But it, it's no, like... but you know what I mean. Like, uh, pe- yeah. yeah. Pe- people in America, like, inherently like have a tendency to follow especially the creatives they follow through a little bit more they're like i'm gonna make this poem and perform it with bongos and they do it as opposed to here where they're like oh yeah baby we need to we need to do this bongos and everyone's like yeah 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 and then three weeks later it's like all right who's written it and everyone's like no i no, love the i love the no i'm just loving the character you chose to express that, oh, that yeah, idea yeah, for that. for like the one person in the room that knows it like yeah being Khalid, he, he knows i'm I'm referencing right, okay we've known each other a long time <laughs> but, <laughs> but, that, but that, it's a good it's a good choice that you made you took poetry there because you feel like something like poetry would be maybe the one of the simplest things to kind of execute you don't need it a lot you don't need a lot oh, of yeah pop. you know you're it's, it's what, you it's what, what you write what's, and what's what you surprised express. me oh also um one of the biggest differences is that um in bahrain uh, get, get that much closer oh, again. Sorry, my bad. Is this better? Yeah, just pull it forward to you as well. Yeah. So, Try so in Bahrain, there. it's uh, there. You go. Yeah, it's good. Um. Uh, banter, banter, banter. Yeah, you were saying then. Uh, you know, considering the that it's low bar of entry, you don't need a lot to actually perform with a poem. Well, or... well, it's it's people. Uh, people lose like the states. Like people lose interest quickly in certain new things. But what surprised me is like how little um a lot of you like your average like bahraini citizen was exposed to certain art forms so i like so many people especially when we were doing improv one of our biggest challenges was telling people like what the fuck improv is yeah um so many people thought it was stand-up even though we made it very clear in our advertising like this is not stand-up even people at shows would come up to us expecting a stand-up set yeah um and even stand-up in the gulf is relatively new like within the last like 15 20 years oh yeah. yeah so the fact that it took so long for these new forms of entertainment to get to the region, I'm going to say the Middle East as a whole, because I, I would I would argue it's the whole region, the Gulf at least. Um, one of the challenges we face is that, unlike in the U.S. where there's a demand and you have a relatively well-educated audience, not in terms of like their education background but you know your average audience member like especially in the cities like they know what improv is they know they, they kind of can tell the, dif- the difference right if you saw somebody that was on snl that's not necessarily a stand-up comedian. yeah they would they would know sketch yeah. comedy all that stuff yeah here um it's it, there is less of a demand for that because a lot of people don't even know it's a thing yeah and, and now a lot of people luckily when they saw improv they're like holy shit this is this is wild this is crazy you just, yeah what is this but the problem is it's like when when you're selling yourself to an audience that doesn't know what you are, it's like you can have all the supply, but if there's no demand, essentially we had to create, we had to artificially create demand yeah. for the shows, which I think we actually did a decent job. Yeah, of we doing. did. I think the other challenge was the fact that you have also not just the audiences, but the venues themselves don't necessarily know. Exactly. Which so, is not necessarily the case in a lot of places. Oh yeah. Yeah. Even, even a lot of the venues are like, what the hell is improv? And then once we, you know, we, we started filming some of our stuff and getting street cred, they're like, okay, that's improv. Yeah. You guys are good. Yeah. Uh, but that, that is the uh, biggest contrast between here and the U S is that many forms of entertainment are not in demand and some are just not even known but the talent here um is good and w- one thing i really wish there was more of especially with like you know i hate to say it like the, a british influence background in bahrain is um just like the sheer lack of theaters now i know 
I, like like you know plays and like you you're know, talking like, about like access for people like community theaters oh, that people yeah, could yeah, use yeah, yeah yeah like plays uh, comedies one act musicals now I do know um, and for our viewers or sorry for our listeners maybe they know there are a couple of like communes I guess that'd be the best way to describe <laughs> yeah. it of theater troops in Bahrain but they are super super secretive and very insular and, they are insular in that sense yeah. and, and yeah. you know i i wish they'd be more open even if they you know like I'm, I'm all about you know like hell yeah do your plays in arabic but you know the thing is it's like if you only advertise to 10 people then your audience will always be 10 people and it seems like they they do art for the sake of art which is fine but they also seem to only do it to flex on other artists. That is the truth. That yeah. is what bothers me the most in Bahrain, considering that we're not in like I've seen that kind of a combination of what you called apathy plus this desire to flex on other people. I've yes. seen it happen in a city, a huge place like a you know a melting pot, oh, if yeah. you will, because it tends to have its own very it's a very diverse ecosystem, let's say in New York or Dubai or somewhere else. And there's enough of a, a territorial game being played. And a lot of things that can be claimed on the table as far as whether it's revenue, ticket oh, yeah. sales, audiences. So people tend to do that flexing move. The the problem I feel like here is that people are fighting over in a, sometimes scraps and, and not much to go around. And when we could actually collaborate more and you end up seeing this this flexing, it's I, like, well, what? I, 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 don't, I don't even see the matter. And, and like, like I, not to not to suck my own dick here too much, but it's like, you know, I'm, I'm a relatively. Please. This is what the show's about. Please continue. Uh, you know, uh, all right. I yeah. will autoflate myself, inshallah. What? But um, what? what? Right, Go ahead. Stuck for a while. All right. Anyway. Uh, yeah. But like, I don't even see them fucking advertise. And like, I would argue I'm a well-connected guy in Bahrain. Like, I yeah. I like I look for these things. Yeah, but some people make that same claim about us, for example. There's a lot of people that will say, you know, oh, the stand-up community, they don't necessarily tell us about their shows, even though Jet, uh, Abdullah tries. Abdullah pulls out, puts out ads. And, he, and, he, and, he, and our, our friends at the Stand-Up Society, by the way, give them a follow, people at standupsociety.bahrain. Um, they do a phenomenal job of, like, one of the best um, kind of, like, grassroots advertisers that they do. I think they got over 1,000 followers on Instagram. Yep. Yeah. Um, they do all types of stand-up shows. Khalid, phenomenal stand-up comedian. Check his stuff out. Um, me, I'm just some asshole that makes shit up. Do, do me a favor by just like sharing this video and subbing and hitting a comment. If you actually do a comment, that's what triggers YouTube's algorithms. Shameless like, ah! plug? No, I'm just saying. If you want me to, to auto... What did you call it? Autofillate? Autofillate myself. That's a nice yes. one. It should be like something on a KFC menu. You want the fried autofillate, please? Ah, yes. <laughs> uh, actually, I'm on a diet. I'll take a Diet Coke with my autofillatio. <laughs> right. Um, We're yeah. going to do this with improv next time. We have a group of people when Corona-chan is over. We'll do some improv on the, on the podcast. But yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Getting back to these, these communities and the fact that they're insular. And like you said, they flex on each other. They do. There is a bit of a, a desire to feel special. So, for example, um, for people that don't know, I recently just quit the radio. <gasps> I announced it last time on the podcast, but I don't think a lot of people heard it. So <gasps> I'm saying it again. I'm going to make another video that's specifically about that later on in the week. Um, but I'll tell you something about the culture in radio where there's a lot of people that I've said it since the start of it. It, it you know, to no fault at anyone there specifically, although there have been some people that I do not understand and their ego and determination to uh, fight over scraps has been yeah. insane. Right. Uh there is still an unusual kind of apathy, like you said, and a desire to kind of say, we're going to push past the status quo. 
we're going to do some more stuff. We have these plans. We have this. We have this. We have this. We have this. But really, at the end of the day, the average person is just interested in getting the paycheck and making sure nothing is destabilized. Yeah, just kind of kind of going through the motion. You, you can tell the people that are passionate about it because they want to run. Effect, yeah, they, they want to affect change. And like, yeah. you know, like hold my character, for example, like we I mean, how many conversations have we had about like how we can make the process better? Oh. Like the, the two of us. A hundred ways. So, and so, you know, my pet peeve, the thing that pisses me off the most is feeling like I want to fly. And other people are just like, they don't have necessarily the same creative direction. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I'm okay with that. I, I don't judge people. Even when I, I bring up the example of radio, right? For a lot of people that do look at it as a paycheck and it's like, hey, man, I don't want, I don't care about where this goes. And I'm not, as long as you know, things are not destabilized, yeah. as long as this, we're fine. I, I just say weenie in the butt and then, you know, just everything, everything works. You know, <laughs> weenie, everything weenie. Everything is at as, as it is. And, and, and that's fine. I'm okay with that because that's reality is, is fuck my creativity. Fuck art, fuck entertainment. At the end of the day, the more most important thing is people get paid. They get to, to go back to job security, especially in these trying economic times. You have people that care about their kids, their family, etc. Oh, yeah. So no judgment on that side. But when I was let I was brought on because I was told I was gonna be part of this new wave of change. And I was interested because I was like, hey, the first person and you know this about me in Bahrain, I'm so yeah. tired of the apathy <laughs> yeah. that I will run with the first person that wants to fly. Right? I'll be like, I can't catch up to you. I'm gonna keep running until well, I get to well, someone. We we also know people that it seems like they're flying, and then when you actually look, the wings are just falling off. And That's right. It turns out they weren't a bird. Actually. No, no, they're just <laughs> they were in disguise. Goddamn flying fish, man! Maybe we'll just we'll just make it in the desert, man. These you know, fucking like, fucking penguins. What, what about all the security? We have people that'll work on that. Come on, yeah. just invest all this money. And it's like, uh <laughs> You know, that's the thing. That's exactly it. I've I've tried. I've tried with a lot of communities. I've tried with a lot of different groups from the smaller scale to the bigger one. And you know this. We want to we wanna go ahead. And then there's the small things that people kind of squibble over and quabble over, whatever the word is. But they end up they end up draining the process, mm-hmm. slowing it down. And you're just at the, the starting phase. You're this seed. You're this nascent beginning. <laughs> like you remember, I, I would tell Mike all the time that – you know, especially with the legal thing we were talking about at the start was never really a legal thing, but let's assume it was. If we had been raking in cash, if we had been making like 5,000 dinars a month, uh, do you Jesus. know what I mean? <laughs> if we were making uh, like 500 dinars a month, if we were making 50 dinars. <laughs> ah, Jesus, oh man, we're, we're getting really ambitious here. <laughs> you know what I mean? If we were doing that. we had that, more than two audience members in a show, I mean, I'm just kidding. <laughs> No, but we we had a good chunk, a good beginning. We had a good oh, solid had, yeah. movement, a good following. We had the beginning of something that is still to this day looked on with fondness and people like it and they, they look forward to it every time. Um, but people strangle it in the way that you've described. And there's this – either it's apathy or this flexing. So you've, you've brought this up. You see all the talent and the creativity in Bahrain. You see the originality compared to other places like the States. What do you feel like is the solution – to this other downside, you've you've seen it yourself now over the last couple of years. I think people need to take initiative. Um, it, and initiative here is a double-edged sword because there have been times where I've taken initiative on something, and then suddenly everyone's like, "Wow, someone's actually doing something about this. Let's make them do everything." And then you kind of get overwhelmed a little yeah. bit. Yeah, just like oh, no, teamwork, teamwork. Because you know you can't you can't build a house on just like one pillar. You know you need you need a strong foundation. Is that the Arab obsession with the with a messiah figure? Do you know what I mean? Like the great ruler that's going to come in and fix everything. 
It happens in the States as well in the ah. election season. <laughs> Do you know what yeah. I mean? Vote a president. <laughs> He's going to change all of it. <laughs> well, it, well, it's it's kind of like, yeah, when it comes to elections, it's like, the, I, I know deep down, I'm not a very political person, but it's a, like deep down, you're just like, are, is everyone really going to be happy? No. Yeah. Are all the problems really going to go away just because this one person happens to be in charge? Not necessarily. No. In many ways, it's kind of like it's the same shit, just repackaged. Yeah. Um, as you know, America. Uh, not to we'll, we'll get back on the HMK thing in a sec. I would argue, I, I don't know. It's it, fi- finding people that like genuinely are interested in change for the masses, whether it be creatively or for the government, is getting harder to find. I don't know, maybe... But that's that's the reason why you in the States you find that a lot of people believe in the individual. States' rights, individual people. Oh, that, yeah. The smaller something is, the, the more you get big government out of the picture, or even just big enterprise, whatever big is, the more you get people that can run, that can fly in the way we've been describing. Oh, oh yeah. Right? And, and, you know, having the entrepreneurial spirit and, you know, just like the the spirit of independence, you know, that manifest destiny, you know, coast to coast, big picture, big dick energy, if you will. Um, that's, that's, that's what America was built on. I mean, literally it was a mix of like big dick energy and like manifest destiny. Yeah. They're just like, we're going to go from coast to coast and the frogs are gay. No, I'm just kidding. But, it, it's but that's much... what happens when you attract the craziest people in the world well, to your, that are willing to cross that land, that the, the, the ocean. And, un- and, unfortunately, yeah. a lot of people that want to take initiative have, what I would argue are very bad ideologies in mind. Yeah. But you have a lot thing. of, but you know, like in many ways, America is apathetic, kind of like how I described Bahrain. So you have people that are like, well, I mean, that guy seems to know what he's talking about. Yeah. Let's vote for him. Okay. And then, you know, yeah, here we are. <laughs> so, so how do you, how do you like, how do you combat that at the small scale? Because it's surprising to me. I'm like I said, if something was huge, if we had 20 members in an improv troupe, and within those 20, we had, like, say, even accountants, a management team, a ticket office, a box office, whatever it is. Yeah. Or even if you're applying that same thing to any of the art scenes, you know, entertainment in Bahrain. If you had something at that scale, you can understand the, 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 the communal politics and the back and forth, a little bit of bureaucracy here, some slowdown. But when you're small, you're supposed to be nimble. You're yeah. supposed to be able to kind of like bend and, and flex your way yeah, through you, problems. You flex, you, you adapt, you change. Yeah. So what 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 what's the problem with Bahrain? You feel like it's just a cultural thing? I've I've asked the question myself from the inside, but you've come in from the outside. Oh, that's where that's where, that's where Mike D gets a little deep. Yeah, Mike um, D, come on. The prop the the. Hold on. I'm, I'm, it's loading. Just imagine like a loading screen. Load that that, that getting, the Apple wheel. I, I got screen. him. I got him in the corner. Now he's gonna have to give us something profound. Mikey going deep with that D. Deep D. <laughs> deep D, Mikey D. What's it do? <laughs> All right. Brain blast. Got a blast. All right. Jimmy Neutron. All right. Let's get this shit. <sighs> Come on, set apps. Come on. You got it. I'll look at the chat whilst you think about this, Aaron. I think, hopefully, they're saying positive things. Oh, they are. Yeah, that's good, like, good who, questions. Whose here, man is this? Why does he keep twitching? Sorry, fam. Abdullah says, I'll autofillate myself. Here comes the demonetization club. Right. Do you think we were ever going to make money from YouTube, bro? <laughs> we can make money from autofillating uh, ourselves. That's though. true. Hey. We'll probably make a lot more for that comment. We'll get sponsored by it. Okay, so overall, just to clarify, the question is, <clears throat> like, how can you know Bahrain kind of get past the apathy point? Yeah. 
Because I'll tell you something. As an example, I've brought it up multiple times on this podcast, on this show. Um, when I look at Saudi, and I feel jealous because I look at my brothers and sisters across the causeway, the ones I grew up with, and I kept going back and forth from Bahrain to Saudi, having family on this side, family on that side, school at one point there, then education halfway through my life here. Mm-hmm. I've seen it both sides. And now that they have all the opportunity uh, and they've had everything open up, you see there's a, a inner desire that it was always, you know, bottled up because people will tell them no you can't do that you can't do that we won't regulate for that you're not allowed to do that haram this and sometimes it's not even just haram it's just an inability to do things because of authoritarianism right it's a cultural thing exactly so you didn't have that in bahrain people in bahrain were generally when as long as you stay away from the big taboos which are not many right you generally can do anything right Uh, if you have the resources you have the community you can do anything but Bahrainis themselves were, felt very free to do that, and yet they were just, you know, taking their time, enjoying themselves. Uh, certain sectors, you'd see some entrepreneurial spirit, you'd see some movement. Let's say musicians and bands in Bahrain have come a long way from what they were before. Oh yeah. Uh, you look at the medical community is not; it's a, at a higher standard than other other sectors, other communities. So things move in, in certain waves, right? Uh, but when it comes to the arts and entertainment. Saudi has just exploded, right? And I don't, I don't know if that's just size and population, I've, but there's also I've, a drive. I've, I've got it. It's, it's a twofold process. One, you need to, in, in a sense, you kind of have to manufacture a desire for people who aren't artists to either have the interests of an artist or to suddenly want what they didn't know they want. That's one part of it. Right. So kind of like what we did where you have people that didn't even know what the fuck improv was. And we were like, hey, Here's a new way of laughing. And people are like, la, I can laugh this way. Yeah. La. And then suddenly, you know, Instagram's blowing up and detail. Basically, it's like you, you have to, in a sense, as generic it sounds, you have to like show people that they now need this. You know, what what is the goal of advertising in general? It's to create, it's to manufacture in many ways a desire, um, sometimes a desire, sometimes a insecurity that can be fulfilled through purchase right all right so in many ways we have to create a need that can be fulfilled through art whether it be physical arts whether it be performance arts etc a new form of entertainment um and two uh i think you have to get buy-in from the artist that it's something that can actually grow right but you also at the same time need to tread this tightrope where you need inputs because if one or two people are running everything then it kind of becomes like it, it squashes that diversity of well, thought. well that and you also have to like let people realize that like they need to contribute because there are there will be people that are more eager than others to contribute right um and some people just kind of like have a hands off like oh well like he's got it like i'll let him do it but yeah it, it, it's like you need to have like a clear leadership structure but you need to have buy-in from all the members and i think sometimes so there's this perfect storm that has to kick in both yeah. culturally with the right people, the right financial incentive, the right pull. There's been moments, like I'll say in, in uh, American history, when you look at entertainment, there's a, there's times where people have kind of been through recessions. Oh, yeah. And comedy or something else is the only thing they can afford, but it gives them a release. Yes. Right? So you have that kind of factor kicking in on somewhere. Do you feel like Bahrain is going to hit a point where there's something equivalent to that, where you know people are just like, you know what, like now, for example, now, people can't go out. They, they can't. can't do shit. 
Well, I mean, I mean, I, I would argue you've already seen um, so people in many ways are turning to each other for entertainment hmm. um, because I mean, you know, think of how many, think of like you know how many Zoom calls are being made. Like friends are pe- people are realizing now more than ever that like they need to do things besides they need to do more than just like what they would normally do for entertainment because it, it's it's one of those like when everything is suddenly taken away from you, like you realize like what you had and then you realize like what you missed that you didn't even know you missed. Yeah. You know, there are people that are used to like, not even like a party or like bar club setting, like used to seeing individuals, you know, their friends, like people that they would talk to share feelings with, uh, you know, just talk about life and, you know, just share like a more personal side of their lives with. And when you take that away, it's like, it, it's something that's so fundamental, like human interaction that people, especially because there hasn't been a pandemic in the last century until yeah. this one, human interaction is such a fundamental concept just being able to go outside and go to a restaurant go to a bar things that were normally mundane that when you take that away from people they're like holy shit like yo i need this back and that's why everyone's freaking out because it's like even the people that didn't go out that much like now that you've taken away just the option an option that they would normally decline to do they're like it's that insecurity like oh shit now people really want to do it and likewise like in, in a sense, you know, people are adapting by entertaining each other. But I think when all this is said and done, um, if, you know, the theaters and the, the entertainers and the artists, like, I think you're going to see a big, maybe not quite a renaissance, but a big push as soon as all this is done and clear to just get everything out there. Yeah. Because you are going to have a lot of people that are pent up and not creating or maybe creating in private, like, you know, by themselves that just want to, it's going to be a tidal wave. Yeah. Right? I, my theory is it's going to be, um, all, all like all the concerts, the parties, yeah. like people and like, like, you know, for maybe our... not for the big events, but I was talking about this in, in one of the episodes when I was ranting on my own, I was saying, you know, this is an opportunity for smaller scale grassroots movements, small shows, nimble shows, like I said, to go out there when this thing is done because all the big money will probably be not there for this next year. Okay. Well, well that and even when the all clear bell is is good to go, people are still going to act out of an abundance of caution. Yes. So yeah. it's it's it, you know it's not going to be like a, a switch. It's flipped and it goes no, from like nothing not. to. But, but I, lit, I can you promise know? you that at least you're going to have the younger kids that are a lot less concerned go out there and they're dying, right? You're going to have college kids. You're going to have a lot of people that are cooped up that are suddenly going to have, like you said, this motivation, this desire to actually see and do stuff yes. And because they've been told not to, kind of like the Saudi analogy I gave you. It's like, oh, trap, trap, trapped, and now yeah. it's open. Go and do stuff, right? Maybe that's the key, you know, just like make places more like Saudi. Uh, <laughs> wait so. a sec. <laughs> just compress it down for a couple of years, a couple of generations, and then just boom and just let it yes. out. I'm telling <laughs> you, man, that's how innovation kicks it, it, up. It's the, uh, it's the uh, halal spring effect, if you will. <laughs> but then, that's, that's what I said to Ahmed Ahmed, uh, the comedian from uh, you know the States, oh, Ahmed yeah. Ahmed, the Egyptian comedian. I told him in the States when he was bringing up freedom of speech and being a necessary component for stand-up. I was like, yeah, but there's also something to be said about being rest- having restricted speech. So if you're if you have that line and you're uh, you're you're being told not to say this, not to say that, not to that, it's, it kills you. It, it can it's kill. gonna make you want to say it more. It's like it's like don't click the giant red button. Yes. Fuck, man. Like it, normally I would have ignored it, but now that you, you know it. what I mean. Like even back in the 1950s in the states, you had laws that would that would basically put comedians in jail. I can't remember who it was. I don't know the name. It was, kinda... uh, it was uh, Joseph McCarthy in the House of Un-American Act. It was the 
House Committee on on American Activities. Was that was it a McCarthyism it, thing? It was. It was McCarthyism and the the Red Scare. I think that's what so you're they, referring to. So they, but is this specifically? I can't remember who the comedian was that got put into jail for for saying something that was considered obscene at the time. I can't remember who well, it was. Obscene or pro communist? No, 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 obscene, not pro communist. You said in the fifties. I think it was fifties. Yeah, fifties, forties, fifties. I don't know because a lot of people are think like, think Catskills comedy that the old school days. Back back when you know you, you don't just get a fine. Yeah. If you can't pay the fine, you go to jail. That kind of thing. I, I mean, well, eh, I I have to dig into that because I mean, just we'll what, figure it out. We'll come to it in another episode. Yeah. But the point I'm saying is that even then, if you like, you assume like some of these huge FCC fines you get hit with, anything else that would violate certain standards and practices set forth either either by networks or something else. If you violated those, you're you're out of your business, out of your career. So in a lot of ways, they were restricted, and that made them have to think a little bit deeper sure. about how to cross the line without crossing it. Do you yeah, know what yeah, I mean? Basically, to, to get around the censors. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So it makes you a bit, like it's like when you you have the, the cops and robbers thing. You know, without if you don't have anybody chasing you, you know, no cops, you're not going to be as in, like. There's a military term for this. I can't remember what it was. Is uh, the defense versus offense thing? As fortification builds up, then people start to develop more offensive weaponry, and then they start thinking about the defense versus the offense, and then as as technology develops, the thinking develops as well, how to counter this, and this one counters that. Does that make sense? Do you know what I'm talking about here? The yeah, evolution man, of it's like this guy thinks I'm in the military. <laughs> I think it was called something the evolution of offense versus defense. So things that will protect and fortify. Yeah, yeah. Let's 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 go. No, with that. okay. I I, I I work on ships, man. Like, I don't know. I don't know. But, I thought I assumed. But, like, a... like if you want to talk about how to shoot a fifty cal, like I got you. All right, fair. <laughs> but like, like it's smart. Like theory, this, you know. No, I don't. Know. I just I, was, I read this somewhere. It was not even just used as a. It was it was used as theory crafting for any kind of like back and forth system. Mutually assured destruction. <laughs> I'm just Mutually kidding. assured self fellatio. Yes. <laughs> um, was it ma- mass? Mass fellate. Mass fellate. Ma- ma- mass f. Mass f. <laughs> but yeah, the, the idea is it's kind of like the whole theme theme of like uh, you develop. Uh, you see this even in video games, right? Throughout the cycle of a competitive video game, uh, the offense will come up with a strategy. Especially one of those that kind of with the time, the end of the game, things start to yeah, add good, up. Good counter. Yeah. yeah, right. People level up. They get more points. They get more skills. You think of a dodo or something like that. And as the game progresses and the level uh, progresses, there's an early game, a mid game, and a late game. Mm-hmm. And the offense versus defense strategies will keep adapting and counter adapting based on what you do. So if you decide I'm going to have a better strategy against you, I'm going to use this approach to stop you from saying that joke in comedy. My defensive strategy will have to now counteract your newest threat. Okay. And I'm going to be like, okay, so I can't say shit. Then I'm just going to say, you know, the word for shit in Yiddish. And you can't, I got away from. Ah, yes. L'chaim. <laughs> Whatever <laughs> that is. I can't remember. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's for our listeners. Comment now to win. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Weedy and the butter. It's an inside joke, but yeah, it is. It is. But yeah, that's the concept. I feel like uh, for 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 a lot of these like histories of entertainment. And, oh yeah, and, yeah. Just I mean, really, when it boils down to it, Bahrain's biggest problem is that um, people don't follow through. I think if people, if, if the creatives literally would do what they said they're going to, even if you have an audience that doesn't necessarily want that form of entertainment or didn't know that they want it, you would be able to. If there's one thing I've learned about being in Bahrain for two and a half years is that 
even if it's short-lived, like Bahrainis love things that are new. They're just like, oh, this is different. Yeah. Let's check it out. It doesn't matter if it's good or not. They'll at least go check it out. You but know, do you if, feel like that's short, short, short-lived? Like it's like, okay, this if, is the if, new thing. I'm going to eat it for a bit. And then eh. if, if it's good, they'll stick around. Not everyone. Inherently, like, you know, like, like, like the tides, you will have some people that regardless of it, like, wow, I love this. It's the greatest thing ever. Yeah. All right. See ya. The, hey, di- you know? the diehard fans. But, but the thing is, if you, if you keep it fresh and you actually mix it up in your performance or whatever you do as an artist and you follow through, even if you only get a handful of people to stick around each time, the more you do, the more handfuls you're going to get. And eventually, I mean, like, you know, like look at any band that's based out of Bahrain when they started, you know. They might be playing the same venues that they are now, but the difference is how many people they got. Right. And it would always start off small. And, and Bahrain, like, rarely do you start big. You do something and, like, everyone's like, fuck yeah, like, let's get... You, you, you start small. And I think it's just, you have to just, like, go into the gym or, like, you know, working on, like, your body. It's just, you gotta do it and trust the process. Yeah. You got, and, and I think that's what is missing is, is I, I think we've reached the epiphany. Trust the process and follow through. So the long-term thinking is the most important thing here and doing it bit by bit. I, 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 th- I think so. Because, like, you can you, you can hit it hard. You don't want to oversaturate the market. Like, if you're doing, like, you know, five improv shows a week, you know, people are going to be like, eh, I won't go this week. Like, yeah. they're always doing one. But Finding if you, that sweet spot is difficult, though, right? Without, the, without it, knowing it. it it's just, it's, uh, I, I, yeah, it is. It is. And that's a matter of, like, you know, like, take improv, for example. If we do, you know two or three shows a month you know every show every show should be different you know it could be short form one show and long form another show and maybe something in between another show and if you do it at three different venues those are three different audiences you have as opposed to doing the same short form show three times in one month all right so that's a good point to to kind of leave that last uh, that last little bit of a discussion on. I want to move it to the audiences themselves because I feel like. By the way, I'm going to put this little caveat here. You guys were a bit going to be going over our time, which is fine because I feel like it's entertaining. I love this conversation. Uh, but just does he though? I do. Does he Secretly, though? I don't. I hate you all. Every single one of you. I hate you. Uh, the real banter is what you can hear. <laughs> it's good to be Patreon. Weenie on. and the banter. <laughs> <cuts>. <laughs> I add in like a subscription. Pay one dinar for me to tell you how I really feel about you fuckers. And watching oh. us autofillate ourselves. Yes. <laughs> That's for later on. That's for uh, Twitch. That's 1080. <laughs> so I was going to say, uh, guys, make sure if you want to submit any questions to do it now, because then I'll read them all out once for Mike, and then we can talk about that. But my last bit of conversation, I'm going to bring up about shows and entertainment okay. after getting all of your background, uh, understanding where you come from and, and your your history with entertainment in Bahrain and overseas. Do you feel like the audience is surprised you here? The way they react, they engage? Because let's be honest, American audiences are so easy to get them excited. Do you know Mo- what I'm saying? Mostly, mostly. Mostly. Like if I if I'm if I'm doing I'm not talking about stand up by the way. I'm talking getting them to laugh different thing in, in the states. Oh, uh, very true. But getting Americans excited to just say, "Hey, come on everybody. Everybody is we're going to clap every and they're like, "Yes! You're amazing." Oh god. Yeah, if, if, if <laughs> Americans love things that are bright, shiny, if you're in a game show, like <laughs> Jesus, those people go wild. They do. Probably because they have the chance to win money, but like, yeah. Any, and they're not even drunk, by the way. It's just that. Oh, very sober. Very, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it is easy to 
literally based off our history, like you change a couple things and like, we'll get into a fervor, good or bad, you know? Yeah. Introduce something new, good or bad. Like people will get, (laughs) get riled up. I mean, just literally just Google Southern history and you will be. I don't know where that comes from, by the way, because there's nothing from like, if you look at immigrant history, okay, maybe Irish were excitable. Maybe. Italians? I'll tell you it was excitable. The people that hated the Irish when they first got here. Oh, those oh god. No, but anger Irish had a bad anger and racism just is, is excitable for a lot of cultures anyway, yes, right? Yes. But if you look at the history of what? Like mostly uh, Germanic uh, ancestral blood in the states, a lot of the Dutch, a lot of uh, you know different places in western Europe. Not very very Protestant, very low-key people, very disciplined people. Where where does the fervor come from? Where how did that happen? Uh, I think, I think it's just, you know, America prides ourselves on being, you know, bigger, better, louder, faster, everything. We, we pride ourselves in trying to be the best, um, much to our chagrin. Sometimes we, you know, like in America, things are bigger. You can be louder. You can do it better. You can be more, you can do whatever the fuck you want, basically. But was that just your generation, your dad's? I don't like you look back to world war two. I don't see that. Uh, not really. Like, no. I don't see that, that over-the-top attitude. Well, uh, so for that's the thing, too, because for a while, you got to remember, like, America was a very isolationist country. They are just like, fuck everyone else. Like, yeah. we'll, do, you know, we'll just take care of number one. So Americans have always been kind of, like, big and boastful in their own way. Okay. And we also have had a long track record of not caring about the rest of the world. Um, I'd say inherently we're kind of a selfish country, uh, less so now, maybe, but, right. Um, so maybe not always been loud, but always had character, always had, oh yeah, always brashness. Oh, absolutely. Spunk. Absolutely. Gum- yeah. Gumption, you know, yeah. <laughs> bully as, uh, you know, Theodore Roosevelt used to say. That's right. <laughs> so there you go. You have that as a, as a background of your experience in the States and everybody knows it. Everybody's experienced it in the rest of the world. Now you come to Bahrain and Bahrainis can laugh. Oh, they yeah. can enjoy it. Even some of the girls that we unexpectedly didn't know, we'd think that most of the suggestions in improv, the dirty ones, would come from guys. Hey, hey, the, you know, the uh, the the mutahajibas do surprise me sometimes. They surprise us so. with some of these like expli- explicit yeah. comments. If, if you and, think autofellatio is dirty, you should hear what they say God. sometimes. So that's a surprise. But then when it comes to getting people warmed up and participating, are you? Are you does it does it surprise you that? Everybody's very calm, very reserved, not very engaging. Like nobody's going to lift up their hand and say, "Hey, I'm coming up on stage." Oh, like here? Yeah. Um. So that so I I see that um I, I'm gonna I'm gonna focus more improv. I think I think inherently in any audience, um even if they're familiar with the format, like you know uh, that why do people come to see comedy? Why do come, people come to see improv? Because they want to see people do things that either they wouldn't think that they could do or you know like a lot of people that watch improv um you know especially in our shows um i would argue most of them don't have a desire to actually do improv they just want to be entertained they think it's great they think it's funny but you know a lot of people have stage fright a lot of people are uncomfortable in front of others yeah and that's that's kind of a universal thing i wouldn't say that's a, a more bahraini thing like you go to america you have people that you know are uncomfortable with public speaking that don't want to be in the spotlight yeah Bahrain, Africa, anywhere. That's that's a universal trait. Fair, and, fair enough, uh, yeah. But you know, I would assume that at least there's a difference between uh, the... Like, I've, I've had the experience where there are people in in other places of the world... Like, if you look at Japan, you look at 
um, even the UK. You have some very reserved people. Oh, yeah. Okay? But in, in Japan and the UK, once they're in a club, once they're doing comedy, uh, once they're in there in that room for improv, they either know where they're at and therefore their their demeanor and their, they kind of get more relaxed and things change in the night. Okay. Or they're hammered. And as the Japanese and the British, you know, are, when they do get hammered, it's kind of like the, the flip side to everything. Now, I'm not going to generalize here. But what I'm talking about with, with Arab audiences is that, like I said, you get the same excitement when it comes to them laughing, when it comes to them giving you suggestions, when it comes to everything else. But when you want to warm up the crowd, you can't just say, all right, everybody, we're going to clap our hands together. Everybody, come on, loosey-goosey, do this, do this. It's not as easy. And it's surprising to me. And I wonder if you've seen that difference yourself, if you felt like it was a uh, like a uh, a cultural issue. Do you feel like it's a... Uh, a significant change from the states to here do you feel like it's uh, I, I, honestly i don't think it's a huge significant i think it's just like people even if they want to see entertainment they still have to kind of get into that mindset that like that rights it, it, it's like 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 a performer it's like you know the audience has to be i, I agree the audience has to be warmed up to an extent yeah um, even if they're in the right frame of mind like you know they come in they're like i want to be entertained like i want to see comedy i want to laugh for whatever reason, it's hard to kind of just jump right into it. That's why there's introductions. That's why there's a little bit of background, especially in improv. So people kind of like fully know like, hey, this is what I'm seeing. Right. Um, so you're taking it back to that idea that because it's already not very well known here, if we're only sticking to improv, it's not that well known. Entertainment is not that exposed. Uh, sorry, people are not so exposed to entertainment in Bahrain. So they don't necessarily know what they're into. Whilst maybe an audience abroad will come to a club or watch a show knowing what to expect and therefore they're kind of already geared to it or yeah i think that i think that's part of it but um i don't know in terms of like if the audience thinks something is funny i mean people laugh very heartily here yeah. and i don't uh i don't think it's like ever hindered us or from shows i've seen like an audience uh i, I mean they if it, if the quality is good they get into it pretty quick yeah because because again you know like bahrainis they they like things that are new so there are there's already a, a level of curiosity when it's like a new thing like yeah. improv or stand up or something like that. So do you feel like we're at least mi- missing maybe the showmanship? Because ah. we were talking about this before the podcast about how like you see Jimmy Fallon, you see all these shows. Now that you have the COVID situation, it shows you the truth behind how much of it is produced as a show. Yeah. And getting the audience warmed up. There's always a stand up before the show. He's warming them up, getting them comfy. The, the room is as cold as this is to keep you awake. You know what that, I mean? That, that is, yeah, yeah. yeah that, that is true. There's um, a lot of this small stuff that goes into making the audience kind of ready to be entertained I, it... I think it just uh when you hit them hard with like jokes you know it, it and they're good it gets their attention and then you can kind of go on to more complex things right um but i don't know in terms of like us being like hindered based off an audience i mean eh, I, I i don't know i haven't really felt that i think uh you know it, that's the thing you know every audience is going to be different regardless of how much you warm up you can do the exact same jokes that killed with one audience that might with another uh, or that might not with another. Yeah. Um. It as generic as it sounds, like results are going to vary. I think uh, just the fact that you can get an audience means that you know the people are interested and they want to be entertained. Right. And then that it's up to us at that point to provide them with what they paid for. Okay. That I agree with you on that one. That's a solid agreement there. No. No. I wanted to see see if I could push a bit more. See if there was any distinctions. I don't see them generally. Like you said, it's it is varies from audience to audience. Although I do feel a difference. 
between the older crowd in the Middle East and the younger ones. Oh, I, I agree. That's the same because because you know generations have different uh, forms of entertainment or not forms. Generations have uh, find certain things more appealing or funny or humorous. You know, like a a sexist joke about women might land better with a middle aged audience than people are at our age. Yeah, because we. I have a feel. I have a feeling that you know, like inherently, the younger generations are more liberal or just open to new ideas, especially with the time that they're living in. You know, with the information age and technology and phones. I feel um, like that's the opposite in the West. I feel like in the states and other places, I've seen the younger crowd be the sensitive crowd, and it's usually the older crowd from Brits and Americans that are telling oh, me. Oh no, that, that's that's what I'm saying. Is that like, um, like like a sexist joke might land better with an older audience as over there? Yeah, yeah, be- yeah, because you know they might be quote unquote like not is like you know li- liberally thinking right i thought you were talking about specifically in the middle east because in the middle east it's kind of flipped for some reason oh, no, I, I, I have i've seen you you mean you know many the younger kids are the ones that i'm worried i'm gonna offend and then i find out they're the ones that think we're not going raunchy enough i'm like guys calm down yeah i i would say in, in the u.s the the younger audience is gonna let you get away with well i mm. i, I uh, okay i see what you're saying now so okay i think if you make a sexist joke um in both the Middle East and the U.S., uh, the older crowds are going to find it funny. They'll approve. Yeah. But your complaints are more likely going to come from the younger people. Yeah. And both. If you make a sexist joke, for example. Yeah, which is a recent phenomenon. It's yeah. not been like, it started like only in the um, last couple of years. Yeah, I, th- I think, but inherently, like certain jokes are going to land better with an older audience, depending on what references you're making. And, you know, like, like racial jokes are probably going to land better with an older audience than they would with a younger audience. Yeah. And, and, you know, and then things like, you know, on the flip side, you know, jokes about like technology, dating, uh, I would say like, you know, like regional specific, like 21st century dating, those are going to land better with a younger audience than an older audience. Because again, at the end of the day, it's about what they can relate to. Right. People that were older grew up in a time where literally women were thought of as being like that much different than men. So when they take and talk about a joke, you know, about like the hot secretary who's like a ditz and ass they can smack, like they're gonna be like, oh yeah, I remember my dad. So, you know, because because comedy, like it's it's like things that people can relate to. Yeah. And you know, like a lot of laughs come from like either a treating the absurd seriously or b, um, you know, f- being relatable to people because people like in their minds, you know, like they think like, oh, like this only happens to me, and then. Yeah, you know, like why? Why are certain memes funny? Where it's like, you know, like COVID nineteen plans. You know, it's like going to the gym, working out, drinking water, yeah. and then in the other picture, it's like COVID nineteen reality, and you're just like Netflix chips every, you know, because people are like, oh yeah, that's me. <laughs> that's you know, the they, truth. Yeah, they, it's the, comedy is things that they can relate to. So, do you feel like it's become easier to relate to people now that you have meme culture, a global audience, more than a just yeah, a, a regional audience? Absolutely, yeah. Like, do you feel like with the, memes? Do you, yeah. because I wouldn't feel the difference? I, I can't. I felt it when I was in the states that I have to kind of understand where I'm at and and and, and figure out that my 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 journey, my story, whatever it is I'm trying to relate to, is not necessarily going to be the the struggle that these people have gone through. So I have to understand what the person in Miami is like compared to the person in Bahrain. But do you feel that way when you're here that you certain jokes or certain, certain ideas that you're going for were not landing because you felt alien or did you feel like no it's there's, become a global thing there there's definitely uh you got to you got to remember who your audience is and so like if you know that you're going to perform at the Raven's Nest follow at the Raven's Nest Bahrain by the way uh Instagram Facebook Twitter I think they have a Twitter 
Um, but like if I'm performing at the Raven's Nest, I know that, you know, like as an improviser, really any set that I do, generally speaking, my audience is going to be younger. So I'm going to be mentally prepared for more raunchy suggestions um, and, you know, like dirtier jokes. That being said, um, you know, it's a different type of energy. Likewise, if I go to, you know, like the old venue Mushk, and it's going to be a bit of an older crowd, maybe a little bit more reserved, the exposure to improv is going to be less. I'm going to have to kind of set the audience up better for one, like what we're doing on stage and two, like kind of helping to set them up for like suggestions that they give me. Maybe Fair giving enough. them, you know, like a little bit more lead in time. Uh, audiences are going to respond, you know, if it's like mostly women, they might respond to something faster or slower than, you know, like a man yeah. would for like different types of jokes. Because it's um, a weird mix in behind man. You get is. people, you get people that are very niche. They understand pop culture at, at a at a in, in impressive oh, yeah. rate, and they have even an understanding of like subculture and references and memes and Rick and Morty stuff. And then you have people that are. If, have you ever been to any of the comedy clubs that'll be at a city, like um, uh, like a uh, like one of the mainstream tourist comedy clubs? I forgot what the oh, one yeah. in London. Uh, I I think so. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They, they they do jokes that like they do very like generic jokes. Yes. Yeah. Because uh, especially with like comedians like making specific references, there are there are specific like Arab references that like, you know, someone once commented that like a thing that I'm like really good at in my comedy is like making like a very, very local or like Arab reference. Right. And what it does is it catches people off guard and they find that hilarious. (laughs) They don't expect it from you. That's the best part. Exactly. (laughs) Because even though like, I might not necessarily look like I'm in the military. I mean, like I'm not the healthiest person and my hair is usually longer than it should be, but um, they know I'm not from here. Yeah. And so that, that's the thing when they see someone that they know for a fact is definitely not from here. And especially with there's a accent. whole fan club that's obsessed with Mike's astaghfirullah. That's that's, <laughs> that's the one thing though the uh, word uh, that gets uh, them uh, the first. Apparently that and like you know Mutahajba always throws them. And another one is Tuzbul Kafar. That's yeah, a... <laughs> that, 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 there, there, I got a handful of sayings that you know I, he just, does. I, I, I bust out with right pronunciation. He does. But he does. Um, you know like you know like if if I was doing improv for a Bahraini audience. Um, I wouldn't really talk about being in the Navy. I probably wouldn't mention it at all. They would, they would, there would be people that would inherently know or like assume. Yeah. Um, but I think my comedy would more focus on what it is to be me in Bahrain. Yeah. And maybe commenting on some like very, very local specific things that they wouldn't expect me to know. Right. You know, like I wouldn't talk about politics per se, but like, you know, if I like did a, if I did a bit where it was like, you know, like, Fatum and Ahmed going on a date to city center and I don't know they, <laughs> they they ran out of something that like is very local and specific you know like people are inherently they're going to be a little surprised and like they might find it funny that yeah. I'm like you know the, the, the they, ir- love, they love it being relatable that's well, the number well, one well, thing well the, the irony the dramatic irony is that or not dramatic the irony is that like me as a, a mostly white person yeah you know, relating or, you know, pretending like I relate to the situation that I've never been put into. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's, the, 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 yeah. that's the thing, like that constant struggle behind that I've, I've seen people have with, uh, you know, the, what you described and you understood me perfectly when I said those specific tourist comedy clubs in, yeah. in, in London, it's, New York. It's, it's all about identity, you know, like yeah. they're, those comedians aren't going to make like South, South London or like East London no. jokes because 
the, they have to know their audience. Most of the audience. But that also like, means yeah. that things have to be really streamlined. Sometimes some people would call it dumbing it down. Maybe yeah. taking to to very basic old school jokes. Uh, you know things that you know are very predictable. You know you. Well, you see... there, there's always humor that you know, like everyone goes through similar experiences. You know, like mm. relationships, family. Yeah. Uh, you know, but I, certain angles have been done to death. Oh yeah, we, like, we yeah. both know that. So... Racism, sexist jokes, family yeah. jokes, relationships. I mean, they're. They're generic. They work because so many people have been able to relate to them. Yeah. Um, but they are overdone. So that's one of the things I get from people that ask me. They're like, hey, you know, why is it that certain comedians or certain people in entertainment in Bahrain, why are they doing these angles to their comedy that have been done to death? They, 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 have, they have to know their audience. You know, it's like if, yes. if, if I'm performing for, you know, the royal courts, I might you know i'll be honest i'd probably try to throw in like a local reference joke just to really catch them off guard but you know if i'm performing for you know the king and his family i'm not probably i'm probably not going to talk about the navy because they wouldn't be able to relate the joke might be hilarious for people in the military yeah but you know because like if if you want to talk about a group that has like fucking inside jokes i mean like 95 percent of like how we speak and the things that we do in a sense like they're not even jokes it's just like it's insider knowledge, you know. Yeah. Like, like I could very, I, very true. Yeah, like I could, I could make jokes all day about like the online systems that we have, and you yeah. know, like you know, like all, all the terms and phrases. But like, you know, you if someone isn't in the military, they're not going to know. But if I know my audience is mostly military people or like vets, that I can throw in some yeah, of those references. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Because you know, I say something, like, oh yeah, you know, like see, when, a good example would be like when I when I'm doing a set and I see the t- the typical like Navy guy and in, in, in the audience, and if even if he's a heckler or anything else, I'd go straight to my you know, oh god, you guys always pretend to be geologists. What are you yeah, today? Yeah, yeah. And, geo- and, and, what are you? And that joke always lands because people are like, oh yeah, yeah, they're. Yeah, we, we, we inherently know that most white people here are, you know, the military. They're trying to not be in the military, so Bahrainis are going to get it, and the, the, the Americans are going to get it. But finding jokes like that or finding angles like that, bits like that, don't necessarily come easy. And a it, lot of people... It takes time. Well, I know, but but that's not just the, the, the thing you deal with. Is I, A lot of people will criticize the, the local scene, the local comedy, saying it's too basic, but they don't realize that we are a melting pot and people are at different levels of understanding references and what's what. So there has to be this little vanilla level of comedy that goes with it. So a perfect example would be um, when I'm on the radio sometimes, a lot of people say, man, we love your content about Florida. We love this. We love all this stuff that you do about the overseas, you know, top, yeah. pop, you know, whatever the most topical thing is. And then they'll say, but yeah, we'd like to hear more local stuff, man. And we're like, we want local Bahraini <laughs> stuff. And in my head, I'm like, well, yeah, but you have to understand the process involves me having to go into Bahraini local stuff and dissect every little thing <laughs> to figure out what, whether first I can make fun of this company. Can I make fun of this person? No. So it's not. Well, well, as as we as we've as we've discussed, one one thing I really wish we could make fun of is uh, the. Uh, I'm just gonna say the. Uh, say it. The divide. Oh, <laughs> if, okay. if, if you will. Not even that. Not even that. Oh, I, I think that that is a gold do, mine. Do you understand what I'm com- saying? Oh yeah. Like, like a, a regular talk show host or any kind of show, a comedy show, I'd be able to go at videos from like CEOs making press briefings that fumble. And I'd be able to joke about oh, that. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. But the average person can't handle that. 
in, in this <laughs> island. They get really offended. Well, I, I, sensitivities. I, I, I think most of the population can handle it. I think it's the companies that have sway. Exactly. The businesses, the sponsors. Exactly, exactly. So you can't, from an institutional point of view, when I'm representing a company, I can't do those jokes. I can't be myself. I can't necessarily go at sure. people, go at institutions, go at brands or whatever it is. I can try to make things as local as possible, but then there's a drought of material to feed off of. So therefore, where do you naturally go? You go to the most accessible thing possible. And the most accessible, safe thing possible is global pop culture. And oh, that's yeah. why you have this like thing you were which, talking which, about Which, before. unfortunately, Bahrain is not really a part of. As much <laughs> as... Much as like, like, I'm trying to think of last time like the world was like, you know, besides the... Besides the fucking French Calexico video gate 2020, <laughs> when the world, quote unquote, was exposed to Bahrain. Yeah. But don't you feel like there's at least a, a generation of people that are growing up, like you said, that have an understanding of all the, the global topics because there's an internet culture growing up. Yeah, right? absolutely. Not just the Bahraini culture. There's a there's a group of people. Knowledge, that... knowledge and information is the easiest it's ever been to be spread, even in these COVID times like. I mean, you just hop on the Google machine, the internet, you can pretty much find whatever the fuck you need. True that. All right. That's, uh, I, I wanted to say let's leave it on a good note, but I feel like I'm... I'm... Well, you, you said there was questions or something? Yes. Yeah, I, I wasn't going to leave it there, but I was going to wrap it up the conversation and I lost my train of thought. Sorry, I'm also suffering from some cold medication that I'm dealing with. Cold medication? Sounds sickness? <clears throat> Wait a second. Hold on. Murder. All right, Murder. here we go. Questions. Straight to the chat. We're about an hour and yeah, more. Like, and, by the way, if there's been any interruptions in the feed, I'm sorry. I keep seeing it freeze up, and then it's back to normal. So I don't know if that interrupted the YouTube feed at all. Yeah, I was wondering why zero people were watching. So. <laughs> there's been a decent chunk today and some good interaction on the comments. Oh, nice. Okay. Hey, guys. Yeah. How you doing? Good to see you. Uh, I don't know Samia. I'm not sure she is, but Ooh, hi, Samia. Hello, Samia. Uh, Ahmed says, I think we are conditioned to have a perfectionist attitude towards performance arts because of what we see being done abroad. So when locals try to do the same thing, the same perfectionist thinking, that same perfect... Oh, so, it's yeah, do you get what he's getting at? Yeah, this guy's woke as fuck. Like, let's get... Can we, can we have any damn shit? I don't even need... Bye. Get you on the show, bro. <laughs> this is somebody that is on the show. It's Metruk. Oh, it's, oh Jesus. Hey. <laughs> he just feels left out. <laughs> hey, Metruk. He wants to contribute As something. he flips through his fucking thesaurus, he's like, oh, let me see. Hmm, yes. Some of the square root of the isosceles is trying. All right. Yeah, so Good says, to see you, brother. Good to see you. <laughs> I like the question. He says, or it's actually a statement more than it is a question. I think we are conditioned to have a perfectionist attitude towards performance arts because of what we see being done abroad. So when locals try to do the same thing, that same perfectionist thinking kicks in. I'm assuming that's what you were trying to say. So are you dying on me? No, What's sorry. going on? Sorry. Jesus, man. No, no, I'm, no, I'm good. I'm, I'm alert and spry and God, ready to fillet. That's why I keep what? this freaking room <laughs> freezing. Um. Yeah, I, I, I get what you're saying, Matruk, and uh, I would agree. I At least if you're talking specifically about the audiences, maybe, because they expect a, a high level instead of uh, the process kind of being That's developed true. over time. Well, I mean, not not every stand-up set in Bahrain can be a Netflix special, but imagine if it was. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, you looked at me like you're going to ask me something. There's, <laughs> there's, a, there's a pregnant pause. It's intentional. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, says stage fright is extremely prevalent in Bahrain. The fact that someone can go on stage confidently 
uh, you're automatically looked at as a ballsy individual. Agreed. Agreed. Hmm. These are not questions, guys. These are statements. <laughs> it's like when you're in a debate, you know, and you're like, <laughs> guys, can we keep, can we make it a question, keep it short? Questions, not statements. Hello, everyone. And I Hi. think. <laughs> <laughs> I think. Hello. <laughs> yes, preguntas, por favor. That's questions in Espanol. Yeah. Necesitamos uh, más preguntas para tú. Yeah. This means we need questions from you. We do. Uh, the Abdullah says the idea of failing is kind of taboo over here in Bahrain. I'm guessing that makes it more difficult for people to contribute. Uh, is this Adela Nazar by any chance? Uh, yes. <laughs> yeah. Hey, two members that can't ask a fucking question. We actually had about uh, five people in total, I think, listening in, but they've been dropping in and out. Oh, Some of them yeah. listen with the phone off, so it doesn't show on the oh, thing. Oh, yeah. But yeah, that's uh, no questions, so we're done. Bet. I gave you guys the chance. Man. Statements well, only. Man. Here's a question. Oh. Oh. From Abdullah? Probably Abdullah. Yeah, this is from Abdullah. It's a stupid question. Oh, what's up, you little bitch? He's not even right. funny in writing. God, you know what I mean? Writing. Like, he's not even funny Yo, in Stick chat. to just stand-up, bro. Come on. <laughs> Here's God. a question, Mike. What's your favorite flavor of pie? Pussy. No. Ah, Thank you guys the, for watching the Better Events podcast. The taste you can see. <laughs> Thank you for listening in and watching the Better Events podcast. Do the podcast. outro music. <laughs> this has been Better Ones Up Close with Mike Donovan. We're back into a new series, uh, interview style. Mike, thank you for being on the show, buddy. Have a, have a blessed year. Happy Ramadan. It's coming up. Alhamdulillah. And uh, yeah. Catch you on the flip side, internet. Let's see you guys. Thank you. Tuning in. Don't forget, guys, it really makes a huge difference when you comment or you share. So make sure to do that and subscribe. Hit the little bell notification like, button. share, subscribe, subscribe. Everything that goes with it, guys. We'll be back this week maybe with another episode as well. Just stay tuned to the Instagram. That's Better and Banter on Instagram and my own. Mike, do you want to uh, plug your own Instagram? Yeah, uh, at Dyke Monovan. That's D-I-K-E, like the women, uh, M-O-N-O-V-A-N. It's a spoonerism of my name, Mike Donovan. Uh, slide in my DMs or don't. You know who you are. And, uh, yeah. There you go. Okay. So, you guys, don't forget, like I said, everything else. And we'll be uh, back with the regular series by next week. If I can get another interview as well, we'll do another one of the Bedouins up close or another ranter. We'll talk. And then probably another episode this week as well. Find out. Stay tuned. See you guys soon. Bye. Bye-bye.